ladies and gentlemen, Elon Musk. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be hosting Saturday Night Live. I mean that. Sometimes after I say something, I have to say, I mean that. So people really know that I mean it. That's because I don't always have a lot of intonation or variation, which I'm told makes for great comedy. I'm actually making history tonight as the first person with Asperger's to host SNL. At least the first to admit it. So I won't make a lot of eye contact with the cast tonight. But don't worry, I'm pretty good at running human in emulation mode. I'd first like to share with you my vision for the future. Okay, well, as you may have seen on her live, your bestie took a major L while driving her Hellcat, and it was sus for a while, but we have your bestie on a machine, and we're doing everything we can. So, bestie's gonna be okay, right? Unfortunately, not right now, bro. You know the vibes. But I promise, if anything changes, I'll pull up. We stand you. And I stand you. Dean Chappelle. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the richest man in the world. wonder what you think of that. I was very sad to see that. And to see them casting stones in your direction. It's difficult. Did you expect them to cheer you on? So they're hoping they would. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby this Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome back. So Robbie, part one uh, went over the unraveling, the further unraveling of, of I was going to say Elon, Elon, Kanye, Trump, the further unraveling of Kanye West. Very fascinating story that, that we're watching unfold like a movie right now. Um, we didn't even have time to go into the Elon Musk stuff, even though it does intertwine. I mean, it just segues perfectly into what Elon Musk has done in the last several weeks uh, to, to seize control of the biggest communication platform, one of the biggest communication platforms in the world, and what impact that's had, how disturbing this trend is getting rapidly. Um, the Twitter files, all of these things we're going to go into right now. I can't wait. You've done a ton of research on on some, you know, unreported aspects of Elon Musk and and the political influence that he's wielding in sordid parts of the world. So we're excited to dig in. Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's go into really quickly the whole um, swastika tweet and what Elon did, okay. and then we're going to go into the entire trajectory of Elon buying Twitter and the Twitter files and everything that comes next and where we're going with this, because 
It is. It does feel like a big con. First, when Kanye was on Alex Jones' show, he was like, he was like, Elon, you got to get back. You know, you got to, you got to like fulfill your promise and put Alex Jones back on Twitter. Um, and was, he was simultaneously acting like Elon Musk was still his friend, and then he's for real. Uh, that he really is going to, you know, be a free speech warrior and all this stuff. And then he was like, I want Alex Jones and Nick Fuentes to tweet on my account, on the Yee Twitter account, uh, whatever they want. So Alex Jones tweeted something, Nick Fuentes tweeted something off of Kanye's Twitter account, which is already, I mean, it, it, technically speaking, if someone's bl- banned off Twitter and you let them use your account to tweet and you admit it, that's already violating the rules. That's always that's always been like a Twitter rule. Um, so you know he was he did that as sort of like a performative thing on air, and then like afterwards, he I don't know what order this came in, so maybe you can fill it in here. But it seemed like he so he got his Twitter account reinstated after Elon Musk took over Twitter, um, and it was one of the examples of like we're you know letting free speech back on Twitter. And Musk tweeted a photo of him and like, you know, he's just like such a meme Mm -hmm. dumbass meme post, like the worst fucking memes that he finds and then just post them. He posted a meme of him like holding hands with Kanye, like their faces superimposed on like a little cartoon. Oh, really? I was like, okay, yeah. Wow. Well, so yeah, that fell apart really quickly. And I don't know, you know, he, he posted a picture of an unflattering picture of Elon Musk. I don't know. If that was after the swastika thing, and he, because what happened was he posted this this um, image of a swastika with a star of David inside it, and I feel like Kanye probably spent only like ten minutes max googling for something like that because there's just no way that Kanye West is an actual Raelian, which is I don't know if you are aware of this, Abby. It was a, it's a symbol of a an alien cult, right? Called right, the right. Raelians. That's like a sex cult. Um, that actually was responsible for hoaxing the media about 20 years ago into thinking that they had developed the first human clone. And it got global media attention until people figured out that this cult was behind this. Um, So that's completely neither here nor there. He posted this acting like, you know, some kind of unity. I don't know what he was trying to say with posting that logo, but Elon Musk DMs him and said something like, this is not about love. This is not love. When- he said, um, so, so <laughs> Kanye posted a private communication between him and Elon Musk, and I think this is what set off Elon Musk being pissed, because as we'll get into, everything that Elon Musk has done with Twitter has been a personal vindiction or revenge of people mocking him or exposing him in some way. That's all of his rules and regulations that he has imposed on Twitter so far. And so Kanye embarrasses him. By posting a private screenshot that Elon texted him basically saying, you've gone too far, this isn't love. So it must have been, it must have been after this. That's what it, I think that's what it was, yeah. And then Kanye says, who made you the judge? Which is like, uh, himself. Yeah. <laughs> he bought Twitter, what do you mean? <laughs> and then Elon responds, trying to placate Kanye's insane Christian ranting and raving being like our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven and then kanye says i'm jesus's name what the 
And then he Fuck. posts and then he posts a screenshot of, of his account being suspended. And then I think after that, that's when he posted the photo of Elon, um, the really unflattering photo where he looks like, you know, it's like a just pasty he looks white. like a a pasty white, like alien body. Um mm-hmm. And Elon just says, like, he he responds to the tweet of Kanye posting the alien body photo of him saying, this is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just absurd levels of heightened reality that we're watching unfold in real time. I mean, then Elon Musk, of course, the reason for banning his account after that was that it was an incitement to violence to post the Raelian symbol. That's the most classic legal argument of all time is nazi speech protected speech and the answer is yes it it is such an absurd reach to say that this symbol was an incitement to violence it's just so clear that it's just so fucking arbitrary the raelian cult of the swastika inside of the jewish star is already on twitter because there are official cult twitter handles yeah. that have it so it's just funny how um nonsensical that you know, incitement to violence accusation was against Kanye. As far as I know, Kanye's account is still suspended. But just to clarify, Robbie, Elon followed up just saying, you know, just clarifying to Kim.com, because he's just very tight with Kim.com, I guess. Elon Musk is just reiterating that the account was suspended for incitement to violence, not because he posted an unflattering picture of me, Robbie. Frankly, he found those pictures to be helpful motivation to lose weight. So do, don't get that twisted. He didn't he didn't suspend Kanye for posting the fat photo of him. He posted it because um because he said that he personally wanted to punch Kanye after he saw the swastika. That's how personally offended he was, therefore it translated to incitement to violence. It's a total fucking cover story. What is the reason, you know, a lot of this could just be personal vindictiveness. A lot of this could be he wanted to be friends with Kanye and then he felt slighted by him and he's mad. That could all be in play, but I do think that what's if you zoom out from all this, what's definitely in play is that Elon Musk and Kanye are somehow competing for the Trump power position, which sounds really strange since Elon Musk is already the richest man in the world and already owns these huge companies. Why would he need? What would? Why would he need to be that outlier-ish figure like a Trump? Well. Look at what Trump's movement has accomplished in terms of like realigning politics, uh, making, steering people in certain specific directions against specific elites. It kind of does make sense why someone like, say like a Jeff Bezos or these other oligarchs, they largely operate behind the scenes. They obviously want to butter themselves up with a lot of celebrities. Jeff Bezos, I'm sure, hangs out with a lot of them has parties or hosts events where they he wants to hang out with them. But he's not out there trying to get negative press attention or to be... He doesn't want to be in like the press every day, clearly. He doesn't want people to talk about how he's the owner of Washington Post every day. But Elon Musk, for some reason, seems to be really intent on wanting to be in headlines every day. He wants everybody to know that he's owning Twitter. It's not just, I'm going to buy Twitter, and then he goes sort of radio silence it's like he he it was like a hype cycle all about how he's gonna buy twitter why he's gonna buy it it, it was all a me like a stage managed media campaign yeah he wanted to be the new right-wing hero and not just saving free speech but not just right-wing hero i do think there's something greater 
than an ideological alignment with him basically buttering up and placating these people. It's like you could see it as a power grab. He's trying to basically steer the entire MAGA movement into his pocket. Like, I am your ally. And so on one level, you could say he's he's just right wing now. He's reactionary. He got reactionary like Glenn Greenwald or like a lot of people did over this last four years. But it also, I do think it it could be seen as a very smart strategy to be able to shield himself uh, from, in the same way that Trump was able to shield himself and be like Teflon. Like the media never really was able to get a really good dig in because of like his fan base and his following and the ability for him to just sort of constantly get new media stories started to like distract people. I do feel like someone like a Jeff Bezos or these other oligarchs could benefit from being in that same power position where it's like you're reviled, but it's like, why does that matter? Yeah, he's the good, he's the good oligarch. He's the good exactly. oligarch looking out for everyone. He's you know? a, and he's going against the elites. Right, right. Like right. that is how the MAGA movement is seen Elon Musk now that this, the richest man in the world is going against the elites and Trump, you know, QAnon made it seem like Trump could, it was going to save the world and all this stuff. I don't think that that fully connected with most Trump voters, that concept, even though QAnon bled into it. But I do feel like, Abby, that it could, that belief system could actually grow and become very prominent among like MAGA right wing people who believe now in Elon Musk, that he actually could save the world. Like, yeah, he's the new the, carrot on a stick. The QAnon, he's replaced almost the fever yeah. of QAnon, saving the internet from pedophilia, groomers, um, all all of that stuff. I mean, free speech. People are praising now the Neuralink thing, which we're going to get into. The fact that he's the richest man in the world and that this is instrumental for him to entrench his own power um, to pursue whatever policies he wants. I mean, to ha- to amass this amount of power and influence with certain parts of the population is really helpful for him as a, as a capitalist, as someone who's engineering all this stuff and overseeing all of these operations. It's very disturbing because again, he is, he is the most powerful person in the world. He's the richest person in the world. And now he just sees the largest distribution center that we have for communication in the entire world right now. And I, I don't, it's like, people were like, oh, the $44 billion is a bad investment. He's going to tank Twitter. He's already fucking it up. $44 billion to buy the power position that Donald Trump once held is, if he can afford to do it, that's like a, that is like almost just better than buying a social media network. That. Because like companies, you know, rise and fall, their their quarterly profits change all the time. It gets complicated, like in terms of the actual like profit making intent. Yeah. But the yeah. power that this gives him in society to basically knock Trump off the pedestal is worth more than forty four billion dollars. That is like, it's it. That's probably how much he made just siphoning off the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, this is something that no politician alone would be able to accomplish. I think it is in an ingenious power move in the sense that he even made it seem like he was 
doing this a, a large part because of of how he felt about Trump being kicked off. Like he made that a narrative going in that it's like we're going to reinstate or we're going to look into reinstating his account. What more exciting carrot on a stick could you do for the MAGA movement than that at sort of this point in time, this inflection point of like censorship? And he actually did it. He did reinstate his account. Carrot on a stick. Here's the carrot, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So Elon Musk buys Twitter over a month ago. I think it was like the beginning of November. God, it seems like so long ago. It's crazy to believe that that was that recent. I mean, the it, it's kind of interesting what you're describing because I agree with you that he is like Machiavellian and very smart goal oriented in one aspect, but his humor <laughs> and his public personality is so babyish and stupid that a part of me just thinks that he's a complete fucking moron. And when you, when you see things like this, where he walks into Twitter headquarters holding an actual sink. Yeah. Just so he could tweet, let that sink in. Yeah. That I'm walking to buy Twitter with a sink. It's just like, I, I, I'm speechless. I mean, how do you even parody any, it kind of is like similar to Trump. It's like, how do you parody the stupidity of someone like Elon Musk doing shit like that? And people just fucking worship him. Except the difference they is worship Trump him. actually did elicit laughter and entertainment. Right, when right, When we right. would watch but him. No. Elon Musk yeah, yeah, elicits yeah. cringe and yeah. almost like, wow, this guy's really fucking trying way too hard. Like, just, just get offline, man. Like, people... Like, I don't, you don't need to impress anybody. You're already the richest man in the world. Like, it's just, it's weird. He has this official explanation for why he bought Twitter. It's very rambly. When you actually hear him speak, it's very unimpressive. You talked about how on the Joe Rogan show, he just was very, he's a big bore. He's not interesting at all. Even when you see things transcribed where he's being deliberate in his speech, talking about why he's purchasing this giant media company, it's fucking pathetic. I mean, he's just like, it was like, okay, I think, and I can't exactly say why, because it's just one of those things where it's like my biological neural net said, it's important to buy Twitter. And just with like a digital neural net, you can't really exactly explain why the neural net is able to ex understand an image or text. The collective result of the neural net says it's an important action. And my biological neural net concluded it was important to buy Twitter, and that if Twitter was not bought and steered in a good direction... It would be a danger for the future of civilization. And so that's why I bought it. Don't forget that Jack Dorsey at the beginning um, totally promoted this. He said something incredibly insane when Elon first announced that he was going to buy Twitter. He wholly endorsed it. He said that he couldn't think of another person that would do as good of a job as Elon would. He, he said... Elon is the singular solution I trust. The singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness. Elon's goal of creating a platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is the right one. He said, this is why I chose him. Thank you both for getting the company out of an impossible situation. This is the right path. I believe it with all of my heart. <sighs> I'm... I'm a little bit like chilled to the bone right now after you read both of these quotes back to back because it almost like makes me like there's another theory that just popped up right now where it's like are these like the new breed of like psychedelic oligarch elites who have taken psychedelics and have like 
actually like gone into some sort of weird ascension destiny like we are we are like gods basically like yeah the technocratic like, uh, it, just have faith in the technocratic yeah. elites and let us oversee your mind and your mind is of no use we will do all the thinking for you we will make all the decisions for you I mean, even the way Elon, yeah, it's like talking about how AI, like almost like he's describing his own brain, like it's an AI system, you know, because that's right. the the neural net concept is becoming like very popularized now because of AI. It's it's surreal. I don't, I don't even really know what to think about that other than Jack Dorsey, you know, was portrayed as this liberal mm-hmm. leftist. I mean. He, I mean, from what I understand, he's always been like a libertarian guy. Like, I mean, to think that there's actual like leftist CEOs or or people who are heads of these companies is a myth. That's why it's like they signal in in a certain way. They have these companies signal in a certain way for specific reasons. Like mo- they are in the Bay Area. Like most of their employees want to believe that they're working for a liberal company that leans in, towards their values. Um but again, just going back to the thing we've talked about for years, like no, these people are not left liberal people. I mean, at all. And so, like, the fact that there's still so much focus on the fact that they somehow are is is just a, another complete delusion. I mean, it's a it's a fantasy. Um, it is. It is a fantasy. Um, going back to like this dual function of like Elon Musk simultaneously being this kind of maniacal genius and financial leader and like doing all this crazy insidious shit. And then at the same time, he's just so fucking dumb that he really does love the Babylon Bee. I mean, that was revealed in private text messages that that partly did inspire his reason to purchase Twitter, that the Babylon Bee being banned really grinded his gears. A little taste of how... Incredible the Babylon Bee is, Robbie. This is what Twitter was missing. This is the genius comedy that conservatives are doing that are making libs nervous. Ready? Yeah. Babylon B. Stephen King estate reveals he died years ago, and his Twitter account is being run by a mentally ill, glue-sniffing parrot with Tourette's. Yeah. Conservatives are getting better at comedy, and it's really making us nervous. I, I have seen many of their headlines, and none of them have even reached the level of like a the like the most the worst thing onion, on the onion like the most unfunny thing on the onion it's it is it is sort of odd that conservatives <laughs> are so bad at comedy and it's like they're i think it's because they're so immersed in such a specific talking point matrix that they don't understand how to reach anybody outside of that so it does speak to Elon Musk's you know dumbassery that like that language speaks to him because i think it really only speaks to people who like are completely immersed in this um right right i mean who who live in the in the filter bubble of right yeah even ben garrison's cartoons have more going on in them compared like it's like oh yeah this guy like makes like his cartooning abilities are not terrible even though his politics are but babylon b is like their politics are terrible and their comedy attempts are terrible. It, it is. I, I do think it must be just people inside that bubble. Cause it's, yeah, no, it, if you, if you want to just laugh endlessly, look at like the 
quote tweets and responses to that Babylon Bee article is like, mm-hmm. it's just the most hilarious thing in the world. It's like people being like, I'm going to print this out and send it to my grandson. <laughs> or like, have you ever considered hiring a comedy writer? Yeah. Or like, you know it's good because of it's so long. <laughs> the, the title is so fucking long. I mean, it just it's just crazy how much of the Babylon Bee and other conservative quote-unquote comedy sites rely on just AOC bashing and like, just shit like that, like super grandpa style babyish stuff that just doesn't hit at all. Um, but Robbie, I want to go through just how constrictive the policies have been and what has precipitated them in terms of Elon Musk's new reign over Twitter and how problematic it is for free speech really quickly as as the so-called free speech advocate. And then I want to get your take on sure. it. So immediately Elon comes in fires half the staff at least. I think actually there's now only a couple hundred people there when there was several thousand people before, including all the executives. Um, I'm not sure how he can legally get away with that, but he was very babyish and punitive about it. Um, anyone who was offering constructive criticism or mildly you know, correcting him on this or that, he would just immediately fire. He fired just huge departments. I'm not really a fan of like Silicon Valley, so I don't really give a shit about, you know, Twitter executives or anything like that. But it was just it just really showed you his business method where he just comes in and just basically deems himself the king. And he asks people and just to... blankly fires. everyone. And, and I don't know if you were going to go into the specifics of how he did it, but I just wanted to quickly mention that he actually sent out like a company wide memo saying, like, if you are not completely like hardcore loyal, like gung-ho about like the new twitter direction like within leave. what like leave yeah, yeah but like not just you, leave, leave you have to sign this loyalty pledge now or mm-hmm. you automatically get fired so a lot of the people who got fired and he offered severance which mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to you know uh get laid off because i don't think they get or maybe they, i don't know if they get severance in california but they all were offered severance so this this loyalty pledge, a bunch of people basically just let the clock run out and they got automatically fired for not signing it. That is one of the crazier things he did um, when he got in. It, right. it, it just speaks to a egoistic, tyrannical, and babyish sort of vindictive mindset. Like, oh, you don't like it here? You don't like me? Well, then sign this saying you really like me and you're going to support me. How crazy is that? Yeah, no, how how crazy is that to have a a CEO of a company saying everyone needs to sign a loyalty pledge to me? Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's really unheard of type of administrative rule over the way a a corporation works and functions. And it kind of harkens back to his time at Tesla, where I read an article of um, a couple inside sources who were high up. High up people at Tesla who said that there was essentially a team of people that tried to placate his ego, keep all the operational stuff away from him because all he did was ruin things. Mm-hmm. And that one day, this really reveals everything you need to know about Elon. Um, there was a company wide email sent out to all the employees saying it was Elon's birthday and that they were going to host a surprise party for him in the cafeteria that was mandated. And so everyone shows up. And of course, he organized it and knew about it, you know, but he he has to feign surprise and be all grateful that everyone's there to celebrate him and then he says let's take out the cake and they wheel out mind you tesla is like 90 percent male employees they wheel out a giant dick cake the size of like a kitchen table for him and um 
And he just like cuts into it and eats it. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Yeah. Um, it sounds like another, like making people uncomfortable kind of thing. <laughs> right. But here, I just want to comment really quickly on Tesla, just for people who aren't aware of this. Elon Musk has not founded, like, I think besides maybe the boring company, um, I don't think he's, and SpaceX, I do think he was originally one of the founders of, he didn't ever, he didn't found Tesla. He bought it from two other guys who started it. And originally it was meant to be like, we are like an electric car company that is not going to be dependent on fossil fuels. But even though that is still the model that Tesla had, they don't develop um, fossil fuel vehicles. It's like, what is the primary, what does it seem like Elon Musk is actually focusing on at Tesla? He's getting all these government subsidies because of the green energy thing, but what is like the primary thing you keep hearing about that it seems like he's really intent on pushing? It's driverless cars. And he's actually been like at the tip of the spear and pushing out into the public realm the ability to have driverless Tesla like right now. If you want to upgrade certain Tesla models, you can literally go on full autopilot mode. Like, it, and it really does, I think, speak to sort of this libertarian, like, power block that him and people like Peter Thiel and the like have built over the years where it's like they've been able to circumvent normal government regulations and things that would have been like, like they would have normally had to go through before. Like, being, like things like Uber are because of like, you know, the teal mentality, this sort of like libertarian new form of capitalistic business. Um, you know, like think about how bizarre that is that he is actually putting people on the road right now who are not, who are like watching movies and shit or even sleeping in their cars. Like that is really surreal to think he's already been able to pull that off. And you don't even know if that's happening on the road yeah, around they're, you. They're right not, now. they're not safe. There's so many instances of Tesla self-driving modes uh not recognizing children not recognizing railroad tracks metro lines it's a fucking disaster and people have already died so it's really dangerous i don't know who the hell is too busy to drive themselves to work it's like the fact that we're not advocating actual speed rail trains better public transit i would rather support his stupid underground tunnels for tesla users than having self-driving cars on the road it's a complete disaster it's so beyond belief that this is the new era that we're entering into. So Elon keeps claiming that his singular royal rule over this platform is actually like reinstalling democracy and restoring democratization to the platform, even though today, after he took it over, Twitter has the most restrictive free speech controls in the history of Twitter. So as he made very clear, the new policy of Twitter of um, freedom of speech, quote unquote, is that negative slash hate tweets will be max de-boosted and demonetized. So I'm really confused at what that means. So I, I have no choice but to basically believe that people just criticizing him over and over again made him embrace the new policy that anyone critical, because I don't know what a hate or negative tweet means. To me, that just means you're just criticizing someone. So all the people criticizing him in mass made him somehow instate this new policy where all that shit's going to be shadow banned and de-boosted. Yeah, mean um, and tweets. And this happened after, yeah, mean tweets. Mean tweets. So, and then he further says the whole, okay, so the whole verification process has been a complete disaster. I don't need to belabor how much of a joke this all has been how undemocratic it is to have force 
people to pay $8 a fucking month, right? Poor people who are living paycheck to paycheck, force them to pay $8 a month to make their tweets seen to the point where he's saying, if you are not verified at a certain point, you will be algorithmically suppressed. All tweets that are unverified will be suppressed. And he's even saying, along with David Sachs, part of the PayPal mafia guy, they're even hypothesizing that they want to eventually put the entirety of the website behind a paywall. Um, so how is that the democratization of information? How is this even happening? It's totally crazy that a, a, a crazy billionaire can come in, seize an entire platform that's crucial, that that is one of the most crucial means that we have to communicate in the world right now, and do all this shit on a whim. It's um, it's really um, it's really strange that he already was able to accomplish that. Like you need to pay eight dollars now for your blue check mark. And then he slyly allowed people, and I don't, you have a blue check mark, so maybe you can explain this to me. How does it work if you are official? Can you still be official but not pay $8 a month? Because I've seen now right. that there's an official added, because people are buying blue checks and like imitating, I mean, you don't have to go yeah. into that, but people are like, there's still blue check for a fake Ben Shapiro account, blue checks for major corporations that just people did hoax accounts for like, Eli Lilly. Yeah, it was amazing. And actually take the stock by saying insulin was now free from a blue check. Yeah, but Robbie, that was all funny. That, Elon loved that. That's what he said. He said it was a great day of comedy. He wasn't concerned about that at all. He he didn't go, bend over backwards trying to rectify all the verification process. He said, um, now you have to actually say you're a parody in the title. Otherwise, you'll get immediately banned. But of course, that's not going to stop people from just paying $8 to do huge hoaxes that could tank... APAC. APAC had an official account um, created that said, we love apartheid. George W. Bush, I miss killing Iraqis. Yeah, how the fuck? I mean, it was, it was fucking insane. $8 a pop for just doing, for being able to cause that much damage? That's a very low cost. Like, so yeah. they're going to, ch- I guarantee you that's going to change. Um, yeah, so now, so to actually restrict comedy to the point where you can't imitate people unless you say, I am a parody in the actual title of your name that's crazy i mean that's a very restrictive policy and that's just because people were parroting all these accounts and and of course elon musk tons of people who are parroting him tons of people who have been suspended permanently for saying very light criticism about elon musk saying jokes about his all the divorces he's had his wife's leaving him his baldness um, it's really, really insane how babyish he is. He's just like Glenn Greenwald, name searching himself, spending twenty four seven. The richest man in the world spending twenty four seven on Twitter, being a MAGA reply guy. Pathetically, all he does is reply That's, to Ian Miles Chong, Cernovich. I wanted to comment on that. Replying to just all these really pathetic MAGA guys, Jack Posobiec. I mean actually taking like career advice from some of these people being like, yeah, that's a good idea. Like I should do that. And it's like, I mean, it really is mind boggling that this is the way that he is just willy nilly administering these new policies based on crazy right wingers who are offering him advice, offering people up to ban um, in the, you know, Andy, no, of course, the, the concrete milkshake guy, he's basically just telling Elon Musk because he has Elon Musk's fucking ear ban crime think, ban people's party council in LA, ban this account. And he's just doing it. He's just like, oh, wow, I had no idea that they were doing that. Okay. And then, and then they're just banned. 
It's like, dude, you're really taking instruction from Andy No of who to ban? Like, it's actually getting so dangerous because at first it was funny with the fake verification thing because of what they were doing to troll him. But then I was like, it's actually really annoying, especially with algorithmically censoring people, further shadowing, shadow banning people like me. I'm soon going to have to pay to keep my blue check, which I am not going to fucking do. Um, so I'll be ad- algorithmically shadow banned and suppressed even more yeah, than I you already, already am. Are. But I'm. But but what's so crazy now is now it's becoming very concerning. The f- the more I understand his his dogmatic ideology of just being totally in bed with these right wing cast of characters, the most extreme right wingers online who don't care about free speech, they use free speech as a cover to just censor and ban the people that they don't like. And and so, again, they've hijacked the notion of free speech to further suppress the left voices. And that's what's going to happen. And Elon Musk is playing right into their hands. And he he is a part of it. He is now the leader. He's the pioneer. He's administering this platform to do exactly that at their beck and call. And it's actually just a really dark and disturbing future um, of, of what this platform is going to become under Elon Musk's control. Because it, it was bad enough a couple weeks ago when I thought it was just going to be, you know, all shadow banned and you have to pay to basically be seen. And now I'm just like, oh, you're just like literally taking instruction from Mike Cernovich and Andy No, And like, that's, that's what the future is here. So if, it's like, I, it's like now you don't even have to be scared about tweeting at Elon Musk critical. It's like, you have to be scared about tweeting at any of these people, any of these right wing ideologues who are totally fucking psychotic because they could just tattle on you to their baby daddy and say, hey, Elon, ban Abby Martin, ban fluorescent gray, ban these people. And he'd be like, "Okay, yeah. And then we're fucking gone. It's one of the most confusing things to me about this is it does. And I have to ascribe some level of intentionality here that why is he openly brazenly being a MAGA reply guy. He like he he was he had bad politics always. There's no doubt about that. But that is new for him. And yes, that text message exchange where he's talking about maybe I should buy a Twitter because of them banning the Babylon B, you know, shows that he really does like stupid ass humor like that. So there's part of that that's going on. But it's also strange to me like it does seem like the main purpose here is trying to get all these people to to be loyal to him now or to at least believe in him. Somehow the part of this Twitter deal that was really important to him because he's been spending a lot of time on what you're talking about, seemingly this $44 billion was to buy their loyalty. And it's just so fascinating to see him out there saying you know, when you have the far right and the far left mad at you, that means you're doing something right, you know, like on, cause he's acting like he's still like a centrist or whatever. Mm-hmm. He is literally being a, like a heart, far right MAGA reply guy. That is not, these people are not just conservative in a, in a generic sense. They are far right. There's no, so it's like, there's a, there's such a bias in the other direction that it's almost like cartoonish. And I think it possibly very deliberate in order to do this. He wants to be hated by all the left and the liberals and like loved by the MAGAs. And, you know, that is, that is very questionable. Why is he doing that? Um, there's all sorts of, I mean, obviously there's a, that's an influential power block, um, but he's continuing to do that in a lot of different ways. Like the MAGA reply guy thing is just one small way he's doing it. But if he was like another kind of CEO from another company, 
wouldn't he be talking to like people like this behind the scenes? You know, like what what is the purpose of doing it in public is what I'm wondering. And I think it has a purpose is kind of what I'm theorizing here. I think he wants to create outrage and make people see him this way. Because that's the name of the game now. He sees the success of Trump. He sees the success of branding as someone who is reviled for the sake of being a billionaire, yes. you know, denouncing kind of on the heels of the whole Bernie movement, the net, Occupy Wall Street, the 99% versus the 1%. Now he's he's taking that back and flipping the script. And he's like, no, like, I'm I'm super fucking partisan. Of course, I'm still going to play the Tim Pool game. I yeah. know I'm the moderate. I'm the independent. I'm not right wing. But it's very clear what he's doing. Also. And it's very scary how much influence this guy really has. I just remembered, too. Like, d- don't forget that obviously Jack Dorsey chose Tim Pool to be sort of the guy to debate with on the Joe Absolutely. Rogan show. Absolutely. It's, it's clear that he, Jack Dorsey was like, I want to find somebody who's not you know like who who sort of share like who i respect and it's like that's how tim pool kind of got really famous he wasn't nearly as big as that before that so it does seem like this is there's a strategy to this to some degree maybe even jack dorsey disagreed with some of these other more liberal executives at twitter and that was his way of creating a wedge or something yeah well he i i forgot even that he said this is why i chose him yeah it's like wait so you chose this guy i mean it didn't make sense he chose like he how could you choose the buyer of twitter you're not now we've kind of entered this new era where it's like the civil war agitation in this country and the split of now the 99 percent versus the one percent and then on the other on the other half of the country the maga movement it's like this worshiping of billionaires this uber capitalist mentality where um, someone like Elon Musk is revered as this genius, this technocrat that we should just mindlessly follow into the oblivion. And all of these Elon Musk stands um, want to get in his good graces. And it's not just people who are just nobodies. I mean, I'm talking about journalists. I'm talking about people who are who were referring to right wing influential figures, ideological leaders in in the most disturbing sex of the political sphere right now, knowing that they can attach themselves to Elon Musk, sufficiently grovel to him and get huge favors, right? Boost their profiles, somehow get political favors. I mean, this is a really scary new dynamic that we're seeing play out. And we're going to get into the Twitter files and how this kind of plays out with someone like Matt Taibbi, who just years ago, Matt Taibbi was excoriating Elon Musk. And before the Twitter files even happened, Matt Taibbi posted an article on his Substack about how interesting it is that Elon replaced Trump by the left as the most hated person. It's like, okay, well, first of all, the hate and attention is warranted. It might seem a little bit disproportionate because you're tweeting. We're on Mm -hmm. fucking Twitter. This guy just bought Twitter. So it's like, yeah, we're seeing a lot of disproportionate hate directed at fucking Elon Musk as opposed to like Jeff Bezos because we're on Twitter. Like he fucking just bought this platform. So like, yeah, of course it's warranted. He's the richest man in the goddamn world. The hate against Trump was warranted because he was the goddamn president. So the bigger question is, why does our society worship billionaires? This is a sickness, dude. This is a sickness. You know, what's also really funny about this, just just exposing the complete absurdity and hypocrisy of this so-called free speech advocacy that, that Elon is, you know, bringing back home 
is that who is the other shareholder of Twitter, Robbie? It's the fucking kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The kingdom of Saudi Arabia puts people in prison for decades for criticizing the kingdom of Saudi Arabia on Twitter. On Twitter. Mm -hmm. They just sentenced some guy to 16 years in prison for tweeting critically about the Saudis. They have the second biggest shareholder stake in Twitter. So this is a platform that should be completely nationalized. It should be democratically run by the commons. It shouldn't be up for sale by some crazed billionaire with a with a very partisan political agenda. And this whole Elon Musk fiasco is just such an, a stark example of how meritocracy rewards untalented hacks. Some of the biggest morons on the planet, even though he might have a very sinister agenda that is proficient um, in many ways. And the fact that so many people praised him as a vanguard, as a hero, because of the wealth he amassed is absolutely horrifying and mortifying. He was a renegade, Robbie. The liberal establishment revered him um, because of his advocacy for climate change, I guess. I mean, it's just so crazy. It's like, this is an idiot who years ago just put a flamethrower on the market. And we were like, why, why do people regard him as a brilliant renegade? The richest man in the world, who's apartheid Clyde, so many goddamn skeletons in his closet, never really did anything other than just be born into a, a fucking Scrooge McDuck emerald mine. I mean, it's just so crazy. So I guess one good thing that's coming out of this is people realizing the mask off nature of who Elon Musk really is. But on the other hand, it's very disturbing because of what we're talking about, because at the end of the day, he is solidifying some sort of relationship right now with the worst people who brought Trump to power and who could still bring Trump back to power. But now it's elevating Elon Musk, who could be he's, he is more powerful than Trump. He's the richest man in the world. Right. And where is this going to go? Where is this going to go? Well, let's just say it would have already gone in a really bad direction if he wasn't trying to do the any of these things we're talking about today. Um, right. It would have already been bad, but this feels much scarier and like a huge escalation. And even to me, just how oligarchs behave, there's a clear attempt here to grab a power, an influential power block that has some, under some delusion that they're against the elites. It's like, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. None of these other oligarchs have been like, I also want to be seen as someone who's fighting against the elites. Right, right, like, right. That is like a that is a new thing. And Trump managed to capture that energy very, very well. Elon Musk, for some reason, sees that I want to have my cake and eat it too thing as a way to increase his market share, to do something, to maybe even be able to shield himself from government oversight and press criticism. Because like I was saying before, Trump was like Teflon. You have the you have the liberal. There's a there is a kernel of truth to what Tybee said there that I do think is important. The fact that he is being widely hated now by like all the generic media outlets, most of them, who turned on him so fast, I do think will help him because it's like on, over that sea right. of oh he's a fucking right winger like he's like he's like um whatever. The real criticisms, the real issues about him won't be as visible. And they weren't already. Like there was, there's a lot of negative stuff that's been written in the press that didn't get very much attention about him over the years. And I think that's actually going to get worse 
we're going to see more QAnon-y flavored press cover, like like narratives about him that sort of overpower what's actually happening that he's doing bad because the liberal media, whatever you want to call it, is is going to seem like they have Elon Musk derangement syndrome. Do you see what I'm saying? There you go. Absolutely. And I think that that is a really... And it's just going to play further into his hands. That is a really smart thing. So what Matt Taibbi is saying, it's almost like the missing part of that Taibbi article, because I read it, is like, did Elon Musk do this very deliberately on purpose to, 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 to replace Trump as being this person who's like the most hated person by the left? I think he did. And I, and I think that there's a reason. It's not just because he wants to make people mad. You know, it, there's a reason why he did this. I think it's very, it's it's disturbing. Um, and let's get into the Twitter files. But first, I want to say um, it goes as far as him posting crazy, like fake news articles about, like you know, the Paul Pelosi attack thing. Yeah, he. I mean, he tweeted at Hillary Clinton a blatantly fake right wing agitation propaganda article about the attacker being Pelosi's gay lover from a fake website. From a fake website. Yeah, yeah. and and then a bunch yeah. of people were like, "You can't like." He posted something from like a local newspaper. Like I even heard, I heard oh somebody God. on like a big major podcast saying this. I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. That it was one of those like fake news outlets that has like a fake local name. <laughs> Like that, and and it's a website that has talked about how Hillary Clinton has actually like was like a demon before, too. So yeah. it's it's like, come on, you fucking idiots! Like, what are you trying? What game are you trying to play? Or just be be real. But that's the thing. It's yeah, like, right. Be real. Be honest, it, dude. Like, there's a there's a whole game, obviously, just happening through. It's just it doesn't matter. Obviously, the truth doesn't matter anymore. But no. It is strange no, and- sig- thing to signal because what was one of the biggest things that Twitter purged offline? It was the Pizzagate stuff and the QAnon stuff. That's right in the bullseye of like Pizzagate-ish territory. He's po- it's a Pizzagate website that he posted to. I mean, so what is he what is he signaling by doing that? Like, it's now okay to like I want you to spread stuff like this now. It, it's it's like so the whole thing is just strange i mean i i maybe he just fired that tweet off without thinking but at the same time it's like it does seem to signal something about what kind of stuff is okay even if it was even if it was flipping it seems really irresponsible of course. To, i mean it's crazy and this really reveals to drive your point home about this whole fake partisan you know um, bipartisan mentality that oh i'm an independent i'm a moderate oh but vote for the republicans vote for rick caruso this is what he thinks the left is. He literally said on Twitter that the New York Times has become, for all intents and purposes, an unregistered lobbying firm for far-left politicians. What? Elon, what politician in the U.S. is far-left? Tell me. That's how baby-brained, mashed-potato-fucking-brain Elon Musk is. I mean, it's really, really nuts, dude. And what's crazy, too, it's not just these far-right people. I mean, it's really everyone kind of replacing the caratonisticification of the Assange stuff, of dick-writing Trump, for God knows what reason, right? For, I guess, the caratonistic stuff, that you thought that he was fighting the deep state, that you thought he was an outsider, that you thought him tweeting End the Endless Wars meant that he was actually ending the wars, um, you see this new dick writing coming in super hard from everyone in a pathetic way to grovel to Elon Musk, to either vie for his attention, vie for him to do favors for them. I don't know. I mean, 
it's really sad to see, Robbie, and it's coming from all sides. I mean, let's just see, let's put it this way. If you're a relatively, you know, you're, you maybe you're in this right-wing sphere or you're in this political sphere and you're someone who has some notoriety, but like you don't really have any real power connections, as soon as someone like Elon Musk starts talking to you, imagine what that psychologically would do to right. you. I mean, I right. even saw Elon Musk replying to Dave Smith, comedian Dave Smith, and I'm thinking... At this moment, Dave Smith's probably thinking, like, there's probably some almost, like, heightened excitement. It's like, has Elon Musk been reading my shit? Like, what, am yep. I influencing him? And, like, Dave Smith is actually, to his credit, is one of the only people I've seen actually be like, actually, Elon Musk's policies, like, seem pretty draconian. Like, this is not, like, even after he saw Elon Musk, like, replying to him. So, the dick writing is insane. I think the draw is just unbelievably unsatiably powerful it's like oh my god i'm being talked to by the richest yeah, man in the totally. world who, who's paying totally. attention to me the fact that elon musk even chimed into all and i'll just say for myself elon musk actually jumped into a twitter argument between matt taibbi and me and said mm -hmm. exactly responding to matt taibbi defending that the steel dossier was an only creation of the democratic party that actually creeped for about 24 hours. I was like in a heightened, creeped out state. I got like the opposite reaction from it, thinking, is Elon Musk like paying attention to media roots and like trying to fuck with us? <laughs> like that was my, instead of like, is he going to help us? Oh my God, I'm so excited. It was more like I got like worried that he would even chime into that at all. It made me concerned. Um, so th that's the kind of reaction I had. So if I have that kind of reaction, I can't imagine what it would be like when it's a positive, you know, uh, reply. Oh yeah. And, and would you ever criticize him again? Exactly. If you were someone who was trying to vie for some sort of influence or boost signal boosting by the richest man in the goddamn world. What better carrot on a stick is there from knowing that the richest man in the world is replying to chime in to agree with you? You, you don't even, he doesn't even have to promise anything or offer you anything. That alone is a carrot on a stick. I mean, it, it just is. It's like, oh my God, what can I get out of this interaction? Um, and so, which is so strange about this next chapter in the saga of the Twitter files that were just dropped. So I'll just briefly introduce this and I yeah. want you to take it away because I know you have a lot to say about it. But I mean, what I gleaned from the story so far, which of course was all revealed on Twitter because it was rolled out by Elon Musk himself. He handpicked Matt Taibbi and Israeli government lobbyist Barry Weiss as the two journalists who would have unfettered access to the leaks that he would curate. Let's let's make that really clear. This is not just some WikiLeaks style dump. This is Elon Musk curating what he wants these journalists to present. And that is why Taibbi, when he initially presented the Twitter files thread, he said there were certain conditions in this case that he had to agree to certain conditions imposed by Elon Musk, the, the head of Twitter. Um, and and he did not or, spell out what those conditions and were. And he did not yeah. specify what these conditions were, which I feel like would have changed the game if he actually just said here were the conditions. And, you, and I think that we could assume or hypothesize what those conditions and were. I, and can I just say, just for the record, yeah. when he's saying that, what Matt Taibbi really means is he signed some kind of NDA or signed something, like literally signed something. You don't, the richest man in the world does not have a gentlemanly agreement, verbal agreement with you about some conditions. No. He fucking signed some kind of NDA-ish document with Elon Musk or Elon Musk people. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get this out of the way. That comms PR people at Twitter 
um, a lot of people have backdoors to Twitter. Um, celebrities, corporations, politicians. I would I would probably say the vast majority of people in um, positions of relative power have some sort of entryway to try to rectify or even request the removal of yes. tweets. This is not something that is that novel. Let's just get that out of the way. Um, I think that corporations and political campaigns and billionaires probably do this way more than we even would imagine. Yeah, back in the day, it used to be someone like Joe Lieberman. You know, this is the story back then that he called Amazon to ask them to remove like the server hosting space for WikiLeaks, like personally, like convince them to. Nowadays, yeah, there's there's thousands of entities that have literal like portal access to high level Twitter people to be like, hey, my client is, you know, there's like a revenge porn picture or like when the mm-hmm. fappening happened, when all those celebrities mm-hmm. nude pictures mm-hmm. leaked. Yep. I feel like Took at that point, it's like, oh no, we got to like let in all the, a lot of these Hollywood agencies now who represent clients because yeah, they, they don't, we can't let, you know, but then there's been stories about how Facebook will leave something online forever. That'll make like a really rich and powerful person be like a smear of them and they won't take it down. So I, I don't know how quickly that stuff gets taken down, but you're right. It is a commonplace activity that the the federal government, especially even the White House directly, throughout the different presidencies, Obama, Trump, and Biden have had the ability to request takedowns. And and Taibbi's next point is that both political parties have access to these tools and requests came from both entities. Um, including, as he states, the Trump White House and Biden campaign. He adds a caveat. However, the system was not balanced. It was based on contacts because Twitter was overwhelmingly staffed by DNC loyalists. So I I do want to say that um, this is conjecture. I do not doubt at all that the majority of people in Silicon Valley are DNC establishment corporate Dems. The problem is that this doesn't ring as factually correct because I feel like if you're the fucking Trump White House, you can obviously advocate for things to be taken down. Which um, he admits in his which, article. Which he, admit, which he admits happen. And so it's like, why would those requests not be fulfilled in the same manner or frequency if they were both coming at you? So the problem that I have with this is that he doesn't elaborate anything about the Trump White House. I don't know what these requests were. But I, again, this Hunter Biden laptop story is just, to me, it is a big deal that the New York Post article was not solicited on Twitter. It did more damage than it would have done just being put out it there. It gave so much stupid. fuel to their yeah. argument yeah. that the left is against free speech and that they're pro-free su- speech. It was super problematic. There was nothing on the Hunter Biden laptops other than his cock and like fucking a bunch of women and doing crack i mean it's like great we already knew the worst shit about hunter biden the burisma energy deal with his dad like what i i just am still waiting for like what exactly is revealed with this hunter biden thing other than the fact that twitter suppressed the new york post link according to someone like glenn greenwald this is the biggest media story in a decade robbie but i guess i fail to understand what is the actual story other than yeah, it's really fucking crazy that um, Twitter did that, that they censored that Well, link. you just nailed it. Yeah, it's crazy that politicians request the removal of tweets sometimes. Like, I guess both both 
parties do this, right? A lot of people do this. That's problematic. We know that Twitter's super problematic with political censorship. What exactly am I missing? Can you No, I think you hit you hit me? the nail on the head because here's here's what you won't notice or here's what you will notice. They even people like Glenn Greenwald who did try to write about the contents of the laptop when it originally came out cuz he remember that was like a part of his breaking with the mm-hmm. intercept. They are not mentioning the contents of the laptop anymore. They are not like you'll notice that. The story has become the censorship of what was on that laptop by the New York Post. That's the story. Even like in in none of the discussions I even see among the right right now are they even talking about what was on the laptop. So your point is very true is that even if their intentions originally were to be like he's has like financial connections to Ukraine or China, those were the two main or the initial stories other than the dick pics that came out by the right when the laptop contents were leaked. Mm-hmm. If that was the intent to get that information out there, it's almost like they've steamrolled over that information themselves by making it all about the, how it got censored. But in, in one, on one hand, you could also say that the people who leaked the laptop originally, it don't, I, I would. this is my theory, and this maybe sound very conspiratorial. You have to remember that this Chinese billionaire, Miles Guo, his website is the one that released this, the contents originally. And what contents did they release? They released a foot job video. They released selected like screenshots implying that he was a pedophile because of some text messages about him saying something or doing something around his niece that was sexually inappropriate or something and some private text exchanges. And they also released on the same website called G News. This is Miles Guo's website. And keep in mind, this is the first website that released any documents at all from it. They also said there were videos, and this was an actual story printed on the website. So there were videos on the laptop that just are a slam dunk that the entire Biden administration will be basically have their hands tied by China because Hunter Biden is raping a Chinese child on a video on this laptop and the Chinese government like filmed it to blackmail him and his father, almost like a version of their own version of the Russian piss tape for Trump. Very few people remember this. Those like three things all came out back to back on the same website. Now, if I'm sitting here as a crazy Bannonite political strategist, I would be thinking like, there's really not a whole lot on this laptop that's a really a slam dunk or that's going to like be a smoking gun or sink Hunter Biden. And we already know that probably these organizations are itching to activate some censorship mechanism after the WikiLeaks 2016 fiasco. Like, I guarantee you a lot of these entities were like, we are never going to allow the something on the level of the Podesta or DNC leaks to come out on our networks again. It's just too... It's just too big. After Russiagate, we can't let that happen again. It's possible, Abby. I do think the people who originally released this laptop intended it to be murky enough where it would get a censorship reaction automatically. Like, let's release just fucking straight up sex videos. Let's release (laughs) insinuations that he's raping kids on here that they've never shown. (laughs) <laughs> at the same time so that whoever's getting a hold of this any reporter would be like hold on a second is okay we're we, we don't have the lap like so keep in mind nobody actually has the contents of the laptop besides a small circle of strange trump outlier figures including rudy giuliani steve bannon miles guo i mean these are some of the craziest motherfuckers on the planet 
we don't have access to these documents. What's on them? So it's like they're, so I do think it makes sense how it got censored. The fact that the New York Post got caught up in that and like the censorship happened to them is like the best thing that could have happened because that becomes the story. It doesn't matter what's on the laptop. Obviously, there wasn't anything juicy enough to make it in a story of itself. We are, yeah, we already, like you said, we already know that the relationship between him and Burisma is sketchy on its face. Whatever's, the, and then they didn't show us anything on the laptop that's like, here's how it's even more sketchy than you thought before. It's already very sketchy. There's nothing the Biden people could say to be like, this is okay. It's not. And even Jake Tapper and like MSNBC were reporting on how it wasn't okay years ago. Uh, I included clips in a very heavy agenda. So I think you nailed it on the head. This is the story now. It doesn't matter what's on the laptop. It's such a good point about the whole hacked material. Yeah, or like dude. The, the potential to not understand what what to release and what to not release and that it became that that became the controversy almost deliberately so yes very interesting point robbie what did you think about the actual twitter files thread before barry weiss came into the mix i mean what did you think about those links that he said you know this was a really strange example of that these links were to be handled by twitter and and that was granted um and you know all the Jim Baker stuff, I guess, go into all that. Okay. So at first, when I started reading the thread, I'm like, okay, Mad Taibbi and me fight on Twitter. I really don't like at all the direction he's gone on, gone in at all for obvious reasons. But maybe I, I kind of let go of my confirmation bias a little bit. I'm like, okay, as sketchy as this whole thing seems that he's, he's giving his documents to Taibbi to make a Twitter thread about, which is like a media stunt in and of itself, like come to Twitter to, you know, hear about this breaking news specifically. Um, I was actually like, okay, I want to see what's in here. Cause I'm interested too. I did think it was, it was, it was a bad move for them to censor the, the laptop stuff. It was a bad move for them to do things that I directly experienced. Like me and I think me and Gumby first discovered this is the first time I remember discovering it, that Twitter was actually blocking DMs to websites that would be talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. And I remember thinking like, that's a really, they're, they're really overstepping with that. They did the same thing to like some of the QAnon drop websites. So you couldn't even send a URL over a DM. And I'm thinking that's going to, that's going to backfire. That's a terrible thing to do so then when they banned the new york post story i was like okay this is just so plain into their hands so i was primed to be like okay there's probably something in here that i'll be like yeah like this is really sketchy now the allegation that we've been hearing is that the democrats or the deep state rigged the election you know against trump right by suppressing the hunter biden laptop that was them interfering in the election. That's sort of been the, that's like the more generic framing of the Fox News narrative. So, you know, obviously I don't agree with that, but on the other hand, you know, it would be sketchy if, um, if a, a law enforcement agency got involved to influence that decision to ban that. And I think that was probably the only thing from the documents that we already actually knew that the FBI was basically putting out these insinuations and warning these companies and trying to interface with them about like hacked materials. We think there's going to be like another dump of hacked materials or whatever. They were going around warning people, sort of sort of priming the pump for them to like whatever next comes down the pike, 
it would be like, okay, this is what the FBI was warning us about. So I think Matt Taibbi shed a little bit of light on that. Nothing really, in my opinion, groundbreaking. It was stuff we already knew had happened. Um, Russiagate was a very paranoid, crazy, divisive, and also like manipulative time period where it probably did allow entities like the FBI, um, you know, to overstep their normal purview and do something like that. But at the same time, you also have to realize it's not like, like to think that the FBI is like, a, I mean, this is the other thing that the FBI are like completely in bed with the Democrats is a weird false paradigm that all basically all of the right believes now that somehow the FBI sabotages Trump, you know, they, they're there to thwart Trump or whatever. And like they all, you know, uh, and even during his election against Biden, they like sabotaged him. I mean, that's already their, their belief. Right. So given that, um, I was, I was hoping for there to be more stuff like that, because if it's just the Biden campaign or democratic entities asking, you know, trying to interact with Twitter to, to do this, I mean that to have them take down links of Hunter Biden's cock. Yeah, which which was funny that in those some of those documents that Matt Taibbi showed, again, I was surprised that it's like you know, why not any of them showing like a link to uh, a DMs between Hunter Biden talking about like Ukrainian gas deal or something, which I think there are some of those out there. So it it was odd to see that it almost kind of self-sabotage Matt Taibbi's own thread because yeah, he didn't even, and Matt Taibbi should have been like, granted these were dick pics, but these were the interactions. Instead, he acted like he didn't say what they were, which I thought was misleading because revenge porn or posting private porn that's been like leaked is different than like posting politically compromising information about someone's like business dealings. It doesn't matter if they're the son of the president. It's still it still is, does seem to cross that ethical line. So it makes sense why the company would have responded to that. But then you have to wonder, it's like, where were they able to differentiate how as the company, and I'm not defending them at all for doing it, but as a company, how were they able to differentiate between the disinformation that it was spiked with from the way it was released with like porn insinuations about raping children? I mean, all that stuff together how is that's actually making it like, how is it going to be their job then to sift through what is okay to post on Twitter and what isn't in regards to those leaked materials? And I think that that is actually kind of, and, and my conspiracy theory is that that was intended. It was like, they're not, if we release this right before the election, they are simply going to have to blanket censor it. And that's going to make us look good. And I honestly think that that was the, the ploy. But again, that's just my own theory. Matt? Well, and of course, oh, sorry. Go ahead. just really quickly, of course, it became so cartoonish because it couldn't have just been reasonably like, oh, hey, this is we're unsure because this could just be a, a lot of sexually explicit hacked material that violates some revenge porn statutes in this country. No, it had to become about Russia. Well, oh, it had that, to become about how it was hacked how by Russia. Yeah. I mean, see, that is, you know, that is when I think they really played into the right's hands and made people like me even trying to take this position right now, like people will be like, oh, you, you think it was Russia? I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, I don't think that at all. I actually think that the amb the ambiguous nature of how it got out there was also baked into it on purpose so that people could be like, well, how do we know these aren't hacked? How do we know these aren't fake? The story about how it got out there doesn't make sense. And I kind of feel like that was kind of on purpose. If we leave it a little bit amb 
vague and ambiguous. Otherwise, what is this story that Hunter Biden was was so fucked up that he gave over laptops to a company with no and didn't pick them up? Is that really the story? Because that I mean that that story too is strange. Like what? How did it even happen? I still don't even know. Does anybody know? <laughs> was like part of me is like almost like was he fucked up on crack one night and he was like fuck my dad like my dad's a fucking dick like i just i want to ruin my dad i mean i don't know um but anyways i mean so that was the biggest the biggest revelation that we already of course knew anyone who's not a hive mind idiot corporate dem would know that this wasn't the doing of russia of course and so the whole like matt taibbi posting like there was no government involvement it's like does anyone think that russia had anything to do with this it's just totally ludicrous that they made it about that that the democrats actually made it about that and used that line to justify the censorship it just makes it's it's the democrats become so indefensible and so loathsome at that point it's like you almost want to root for i mean like it's like make it makes like the the whole like jimmy Dore like style world make sense to me it's like if they're that bad like that grotesque and how they're trying to bury this <laughs> then i almost want to root for the the hunter biden laptop to go everywhere you know at that point because it's like you guys are lying about what this is why don't you just tell the truth why don't you say a bizarre chinese billionaire who's a fugitive on the run for the chinese government somehow got access to these leaks and is like trying to completely pizzagate them like out of the gates and we don't know what to do about it it's like we don't know how to filter it maybe i mean and i'm imagining maybe that was part of their position but obviously i do think the russia stuff probably caused this to shut down even faster i mean i mean that's what that's the documents i want to see i want to see documents where like the hardcore russia gator spooks like maybe like someone like james clapper you know, getting a message over to Twitter and being like, we, I have information. This is Russian, like, or, or something, you know, like that would be a, that would be a really crazy smoking gun in the sense that like, damn, Russiagate's still fucking like a huge part of this and shutting these things down. Yeah. That's why, I mean, Jack Dorsey with his little, I chose Elon Musk and he's a godsend and he's, I, I'm convinced he's the only person in the world who's going to carry out my vision. I mean, even he is like, why aren't you releasing the whole files? Like, what is this? Oh, oh about the Twitter like, files. Why are you not? Yeah. Like, why aren't you releasing everything? It's just crazy. It's like, okay, dude, release it all. Like, let's have full transparency, baby. Free speech. And, let's do it. And here's what was, uh, I'll just j move to the next part. Cause I know we're going really long here mm -hmm. is that so he, so Barry Weiss, I guess, was chosen second after Matt Taibbi to have exclusive access to these documents. Now, obviously, they're not being given all the documents. Jack Dorsey probably, you know, keyed into something there that even Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss don't have access to all these documents, clearly. No, of course not. Uh, and what's interesting is well, as soon as Barry Weiss got involved, Matt, and Matt Taibbi's Twitter files thread, he is praising Barry Weiss for being the one who discovered that the files were being filtered through, according to them, Twitter's lawyer, one of his, one of their lawyers. So like, this is just such a weird thing. It's like this guy, Elon Musk is the most powerful, richest guy. He buys Twitter. He has access to all these documents. He can give them straight to Matt Taibbi and, and Barry Weiss and be like, here's the whole cash. But I, apparently they still had to vet them through a Twitter lawyer. And Elon Musk kind of says that in, you know, why it got delayed or whatever, like why the release of it got delayed. Mm -hmm. But what's strange is they're like, oh my God, we were wondering like why we weren't getting all the documents we knew we were that were there. And then we find out that the person responsible for like filter vetting them was named Jim. 
you know, it's already strange that, and that he's sort of like being like, yeah, I'm working with this like paid, you know, Israeli government lobbyist who works for a lobbying group that works directly with the, you know, Netanyahu's office. And it's so, cra- I mean, it, can we just say how crazy it is that he handpicked her? Oh, I mean. Out of all the people in the world, Elon Musk picked Barry White. Well, can I just, okay, <laughs> let me take a little detour for a second. I'm sure you've heard this talking point, Abby, even maybe from some right wingers that like, we trust Elon Musk. We love what he's doing with free speech. We love that he's reinstating Trump. But you know what? His business dealings with China are questionable and we need to make sure that that's not a problem. Like I've seen, Mm -hmm. that's probably the most criticism I've seen from him on the right, which is fascinating because he does have a Tesla factory, I believe, in China. But guess what? He has much more strong business ties with uh, probably more than any other foreign country, actually, besides the United States, he is very deeply in bed with the Israeli government subsidies, uh, Tesla factories there, and specifically Netanyahu personally. He talks to him personally. He doesn't just interface with his office. He has a personal relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu. Okay. Now, here's what's really fascinating. This whole having his cake and eat it too you know, Elon Musk also got in a little controversy recently talking about de-escalating the Ukraine war uh, with proposing some diplomatic, I guess, you know, steps. He got accused of being, you know, influenced by Putin or speaking for Putin or something. But he's there providing Starlink terminals in Ukraine through USAID that's funding these terminals where the Ukrainian army themselves repeatedly has said that the reason that they're having any upper hand whatsoever against Russia, in their view, is because of Starlink. That Russia has, I guess, tried to bomb out their communication infrastructure. This enables them to, this is how they target Russian forces, with Starlink satellites. He's literally a huge backbone. His products are in a huge backbone in the Ukraine war. And then he's getting all this flack, you know, in mainstream media for being like pro-Putin, you know, which is an absurd insinuation to say anyways. It's strange that both things are true at once, right? So how, so what's happening here? Well, the China thing is always interesting to me because I have a habit now of being like, when the right or a lot of people are talking about China, I have the habit now of thinking about Israel when it comes to like the amount of coverage the Uyghurs have gotten. You know, it's kind of interesting how a lot of talk about Palestinians has kind of gone by the wayside, um, how China is interfering in our tech sector, even though a huge Intercept article came out saying something we already knew that like thousands of Israeli spies, former and even some current ones work in all sectors of Silicon Valley. Um, That's something that's been well known for decades that Israel has a lot of weird spying going on in our tech sector and also like a huge like symbiotic relationship between our tech sector and theirs. So here's where it gets more fascinating, Abby. Elon Musk was in talks with Benjamin Netanyahu in 2019 for building tunnels in Israel with his boring company. So it's not just Elon, it's not just Tesla. It's not just, um, you know, SpaceX or whatever. They actually wanted to like build tunnel. Cause you know how, like, you know how people complain about traffic in LA. There's some really privileged Israelis who complain about the checkpoints. They're like, this fucking takes forever <laughs> to get, you know, from point A to point B. Um, so he wanted to do the same thing in Israel to make it like easier for like Israelis to get probably like special 
you know, instead of having to go through checkpoints, they just go, they have like a really clear route, you know. Which is crazy because they already have their own roads. Yeah. You know? it, it's absolutely fascinating. And then this is not surprising at all, Abby, but guess what? Elon Musk is in talks with the White House as early, as recently as October 2022 to set up Starlink in Iran. And at first people were confused. He was like, so he was like, how do I circumvent the government um, regulations that make it illegal to do business with Iran? This is how he's doing it, which is fascinating because it's like, at first people, I even saw some people being like, why is he trying to do this? Is he like trying to get in bed with the Ayatollah or something? It's like some stupid liberal was probably saying that. But like to think that this is his end to do it is absolutely fucking fascinating. It's another example of like having his cake and eating it too. But also it does make me question what his relationship with Israel is. There is a lot, a lot of information here about how he's trying to get Starlink specifically into Iran. Like Starlink is relatively new. It's a lot of people in this country actually use it who live in the mountains because like who can't get internet otherwise. It's a lot. I know some personally who's using it. I think I already said this, but it is interesting to think that he's trying to move it into an area that is like, you know, kind of a fl inflection point now for potential regime change. Like, like before any kind of proxy war starting, it just makes me wonder what's actually going on here. Um, he actually has a lot of relationships with Israeli tech companies that are working in AI. Um, and Elon Musk is a huge, huge admirer of Israel as well. He's actually said uh, that Elon Musk, or he's, he said that Israel is like going to be the, the biggest or is already like one of the biggest tech powers in the world. So this is something that, you know, I don't know what his actual ideological leanings are towards Israel if he is a Zionist, um, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, well, I think he is. Yeah. I mean, apartheid Clyde. It's you he know. hasn't specifically come out as one, but you you see like his relationship with people like David Sachs, like Peter Thiel. Though they both have overtly come out pro-Israel, and it has been something they've talked about for a while, and they have you know encouraged the Israeli tech sector. Musk. It's kind of acted neutral on it, but what he's doing in reality seems like he's really in bed with not just the Israeli tech sector, which would be, you know, interesting enough. He's in bed specifically with Netanyahu's Netanyahu. office, yeah. like the Likud faction. When he went um, to Israel, he, he pretended like it was just a family vacation, but I mean, even just the pictures that he posted there just are pretty revealing. I mean, him doing this hike and saying live free or die you know just t things that to me implicate that he is very staunch zionist just the fact that he is that close to netanyahu talking about building up part of the negev desert with technological sector i mean what does that say it says that he has no regard for the palestinian plight and he is just totally unabashed i mean he he comes from an apartheid nation and he built his wealth on uh, his his apartheid family. So I'm not surprised at all. This whole free speech canard, this whole, we got to get rid of the bots, but only keep the real people and verify them. There's something very fishy going on here. And I think that it's just not getting any press coverage at all. And it's And it does seem to tie to Israel. Again, there's a bunch of articles about this. It got very little play. 
that one of the biggest bot network suppressions that he was involved in after he took over Twitter, Abby, was, and this is according to Haratz, um, hundreds of fake accounts likely linked to Iranian campaign pushed anti-Netanyahu voters to boycott election. And Elon Musk not only su- suppressed this whole network and said it was an in- election-influencing campaign, like by a you know a foreign country doing disinfo, which is interesting because it's kind of like, that's kind of like a lib Russiagator thing to say, but like in a pro-Israel direction. But he also hired an Israeli company to analyze this and take down these networks. The same Israeli company that analyzed that and helped him uh, identify that network also was the one who, I guess, pointed him to that his, the, the SEC, um, like, cause I guess there's a bunch of like tweets saying something about like the SEC investigation of him, uh, implying that he had committed fraud or something. And they were all tweeting the same exact thing. And he's also claiming, uh, that that was like a bot network done by, and I don't know who he says it's done by, but this Israeli company basically like added fuel to the fire that like he's getting like assailed by like a bot network, you know? Um, so it's just, it's interesting. There's, there is other, there's a lot of stuff here and there's so much more to go into with this ties into Israel. We should on a different episode, but back to Barry Weiss. Oh, wait. So, so I mean, Barry Weiss, him picking her is perhaps the biggest indicator of his Zionism. I mean, she is so hardcore in her Zionism and she is such an anti-free speech advocate that it shows that her Zionism must override his free speech fake advocacy. I mean, the fact that he picked her, an Israeli government lobbyist, to represent the Twitter files batch says it all. It says it his. It says everything you need to know about his ties to Israel, about his beliefs about Zionism and Palestinians. And what's even funnier is that Barry Weiss has dedicated her career, dedicated her career trying to crush pro-Palestine speech, getting academics fired shutting down BDS campus uh, organizations, um, ratting on students. She, I mean, her her career goes back decades of doing this. That's why she was boosted to the New York Times editorial page. She's been martyred several times over, uh, resigned, you know, made herself a martyr, is what I meant to say, resigned in protest at the New York Times because of just how liberal and woke they were and, you know, she she's hugely successful on this narrative that she is this somehow renegade. But in reality, she, again, is the worst on free speech because that is the most suppressed speech in the country today is pro-Palestine speech. And she is one of the leading um, people out there who is trying to basically criminalize it. Absolutely. So it, it, it doesn't just reveal that he has some kind of to- ties to Israel or the Zionist movement. It also reveals that his entire free speech canard is completely, utterly phony because she has been probably one of the most easily identifiable phony people who has tried to circulate around and take energy from like the, not just the post left, you know, that she, she did the intellectual dark web thing and the MAGA movement, like all at once. It's like, she's sort of trying to creep in there and be like, no, I'm like one of you guys. I'm really anti-cancel culture. I'm like really pro-free speech. Um, I do think like Israel, like, you know, has the right to exist. Like she'll like, you know, she'll act like it's, it's kind of like, um, I don't, it, at first I saw her as like a Jamie Kerchick, but I see her as something different. Like she seems to be a symbol representing how these things can sort of all come together at once. 
and and sort of the inner like the intellectual dark web if people have forgotten she's the one who wrote that article and eric mm-hmm. weinstein yeah. and her i guess are really great friends they talk on the phone all the time and he just came out of nowhere all of a sudden as being like i'm in the intellectual dark web guys hey i'm going to coin it because all these people are really cool it's ben shapiro which i i think is interesting because it also shows that there was something forced in there it makes sense that Sh- peterson I forgot that he even was in Ruben there. maybe, and but less so because he's just dumb. Wait, Ruben yes. was in there. Please wrap it up by talking about how insane it is, how insane it truly is, given all the research that you just uncovered about why Barry Weiss was picked, and just how crazy it is that um, Elon is pretending to not know who Jim Baker is, and and feigning all the shock and aiding this narrative that you know, oh, he fired him once he found out who he was when Mike Cernovich had told him back in April. And he and he of and his MAGA know. reply guy syndrome, yeah, exactly. Going back to the MAGA <laughs> <Syndrome>. reply, pathetic <laughs> that he was like, "Wow, that's really sus." Yeah, you said like that's really to, that seems bad. Or it's, that seems bad. It's like, so did you not know? Like, did you just forget that? First of all, it's bizarre that Cernovich had to tell you that. Well, then this was this was uh, you know months before the actual purchase took place. So yeah, no, it is. I mean, you just basically let let you know spoil this the no it's fine it's (laughs) that's because that's what's so strange is so people who weren't following this basically when matt and i never finished my point matt taibbi was like okay barry weiss discovered something amazing like amazing she saw that the name jim kept coming up and then she happened to ask is this jim baker and it was like confirmed and our minds were blown my jaw hit the floor or something like like saying or i guess her jaw hit the floor and it's like Okay, so basically the guy who you had to sign some kind of NDA with who's selectively giving you only certain documents from Twitter, uh, Elon Musk, you're you're not mad at him or like confused now that why he would have put you in this position to basically act like you had discovered something that Mike Cernovich tweeted about and then Elon Musk acknowledged like six months earlier that they already knew. They acted like basically that the biggest discovery in all of this that was shocking is that Jim Baker is not only on the Twitter legal staff, he's like former FBI or something like Democrat or whatever, but that he's also the one responsible for filtering to them what they're being able to see because Elon Musk entrusted this to his legal team. And he had no idea uh, that this guy was going to be thwarting that effort. It's just like, it almost makes Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss look completely foolish. Like, and I, I know they're probably not feeling that right now, but on some level, it's like, wait a second, do we just get tricked here? Like, how is this, how could Elon Musk have been this dumb? Like, it doesn't make sense. If I was them right now, I'd be like, are we being set up? Like, what is happening? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I obviously, Barry Weiss is already a tool, but um, it is, it's fascinating. I, mean, I don't, that's what's strange because that ultimately became like, this is the spite, this is like the real story is that, this guy tried to, it's like the Hunter Biden laptop got suppressed, but now the fucking Dem loyalist, like former FBI guy who happened to work for Twitter that we had no idea about is trying to suppress this disclosure now in real time. Like they're still trying to suppress it. They. Even though, even though he, yeah, they, who are they? The the, are we state. talking about the Jews, the, the globalists, the deep state or the Dems? Yeah. Uh, well, what's funny is that um, Elon fired him, Robbie. So don't worry about that. Collusion over. Elon made sure that he kicked him to the curb, even though he knew that he was there. Mm-hmm. How does he not know who the lawyer is? 
at Twitter. I mean, he it's compl- had to vet all these documents through there. It's just like so unbelievable on so many levels that this is even happening. I'm trying to imagine Matt Taibbi because of the two of them, I could see Matt Taibbi actually having the balls to ask Elon Musk about that. Of course. And then just sort of getting like steamrolled over by some sort of like weird autistic sounding like rant about like neural networks or something. And then he just like yeah, shuts the Yeah, and too bad his, N- his NDA prohibits him from even yeah. expressing that. So we'll never know. We'll never know. Well, so to make a long story short, basically it is completely unbelievable um, that Elon Musk wouldn't already know that Jim Baker, a Justice Department official who represented the FBI, would be still in this position in Twitter and would be the one who was handling which documents were going to be handed over to him. The whole thing just seems completely absurd. Like it's obviously, I mean, calling it a limited hangout would be an understatement because it's like a limited hangout within a limited hangout. We're supposed to believe that this is sort of an unbiased document dump of some kind being channeled through Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi but then on top of that, we're also supposed to believe that Elon Musk had no knowledge of and was shocked and Barry Weiss's jaw hit the floor upon this supposed discovery she made that Jim Baker was somehow involved in the le- this legal process in Twitter, the, the vetting process. Um, I, I, it's just odd that, that people are buying both at the same time. It's like, that's, it's just not believable. And I, as I was saying before, if I was Matt Taibbi or Barry Weiss, I mean, I can't even speak for Barry Weiss because she just seems like such a cutout. But if I was Matt Taibbi, I'd be like mad that I had been conned, basically, because it's obvious that Elon Musk is a liar. There's just no way that he didn't realize that. Um, and Mike Cernovich, of all people, pointed it out to him and he, in his little reply guy mode, confirmed, saying, yeah, that's really bad. Uh, when Mike Cernovich, like in April, as you said, had pointed this out that Jim Baker was already like somehow on Twitter's in Twitter's like legal staff. Um, it's really fucking crazy that we're supposed to swallow this. And yeah, I mean, let's talk about what's in, you know, the second part of this, the sequel, the, the ongoing Twitter files saga. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about it, Abby, because and you are you also wanted to mention something you know stuff about what was actually in the New York Post article to begin with too. So I don't know in which order you wanted to do that, but I mean I could talk about that now just to make it easier. Yeah, so just it's talk, not the end talk of the about that now. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we actually explain what was in the New York Post article? Because as you are articulating. It has become just about the article being censored. It, it stopped being about what the article was actually revealing. Um, no, the article did not talk about sexually explicit photos of Hunter Biden or any of that stuff, which we knew existed a lot <laughs> on the laptop and really became the prominent story pushed by so many conservatives and stuff. But the original New York Post article was about, quote, a smoking gun email that reveals how Hunter Biden introduced a Ukrainian businessman to Biden. Um, it's still just about the Burisma stuff, you know. 
Um, It just says that Hunter Biden introduced his father to a top executive at Burisma less than a year before Biden pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company. A little bit clunky, um, a little bit hard to parse through. I mean, to me, it's just way crazier and way more clear cut that he was just making so much fucking money on behalf of just clear political connections from his father and just raking in tens of thousands of dollars a month doing God knows what with what credibility and what expertise was even sitting on this board in the first place. But it just further proves that there was quote unquote like collusion or, um, you know, collaboration between the Biden campaign or Biden as a politician and this Ukrainian energy firm going as far as holding off or like pressuring an investigator to not look into the company, basically. So that's that's the crux of the email. Um, as we know, Hunter Biden was raking in a reported salary of like 50 grand a month. So that's it, Robbie. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. It's definitely not nothing. You know, I mean, it just further proves how outlandish it is that Hunter Biden was just profiting so much off of the political co- connections from his father with this Ukrainian firm that just he had no like business really doing. I mean, what the fuck? He was probably just like phoning it in. I mean, he I'm sure he didn't actually. Yeah, do or even like go there. It. it was just like kind of like a money laundering. Yeah, so it seems like it was just kind of like a that's money what, laundering. That's what thing. it seems like. And I guess, I mean, that is a scandal and it is, it is, uh, you know, pretty, seems pretty corrupt. But can you, can you shed a little more light on what? was actually what was the email was it hunter biden emailing someone from burisma or like what was the what was revealed in the laptop uh that made that clearer clearer than the you know the prosecutor thing did that come from the laptop because i feel like that was already out during like trump's impeachment process or something wasn't it like well, hold on. There's so many pop-ups on the New York Post article. It's like blocking <laughs> the entire screen. Hold on one second. Let me make sure. Um, so, yeah. So there's there's a couple other things. I mean, it, it says an earlier email from 2014. So this is like, you know, in the height of all the coup operations that shows Burisma's number three executive asking Hunter for, quote, advice on how you could use your influence, end quote, on the company's behalf. Um, you know, again, it's contradicting Joe Biden's claim at the time that he's never spoken to his son about overseas business dealings. Really, like, I mean, do, how many? It's just like I just can't help but think, like, how much of of Trump's family has done similar stuff? I'm not trying to do like a whataboutism, but it's just like to me, this just seems like totally par for the course. Like, I would be surprised if any, um politically connected family wasn't like benefiting somehow by doing this kind of shit maybe not as egregiously like that fifty thousand dollars salary is pretty ridiculous especially during this whole coup operation um pretty disgusting stuff but it shows one particular email to hunter biden from this uh burisma burisma official that says dear hunter thank you for inviting me to dc giving me an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together um as we spoke yesterday evening, would be great to meet today for a quick coffee. What do you think? And then that's pretty much it. And he's just like, and then he signs off. Um, so it just shows that this guy was, you know, brought to D.C. to be wine and dined by Biden uh-huh. on behalf of his son. 
um, contradicting what Biden said. And then it actually, I, I mean, it doesn't say, it doesn't obviously show like blurred out photos of his dick or anything like that, but it does go on to then talk about like all of the, um, you know, all of the raunchy material on the laptop. Yeah. And then it just basically just talks about the theory of how the laptop was acquired. So the article itself, but the lead of the article is the Ukraine thing. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the Burisma board saying we urgently need your advice on how you could use your influence to convey what we like to convey a message to stop what we consider to be politically motivated actions. Um, and then it just says like several things that he should bring to the political establishment on behalf of Burisma. Um, so yeah, just saying, please exploit your influence to try to help us. So, I mean, I guess that the, the main takeaway there is that the article itself doesn't seem to be like, you know, posting the dick pics or anything like that. So if that's the article that actually got Mm -hmm. banned off Twitter, that is pretty extreme overstep that Twitter would take to do that. And I mean, in the precedent that that sets, especially like banning this Murdoch conservative news outlet account for posting it temporarily. I mean, it's just like, it just total vindication for them, not just like the MAGAs, but like even like the, the Murdoch media machine, which is like, not even like it's had like a weird relationship with like the MAGA movement where like they're even trying to move away from Trump now. Like Rupert Murdoch himself on the New York Post's front page, I don't know if you saw this, Abby, the announcement that Trump made running for president, it was actually like they did almost like a mocking him front page New York Post report where at the tiny uh, margin at the bottom of the front page, it said, Florida man makes announcement. You saw that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it, was I thought it was at first too, but no, that it. sometimes that's how the New York Post does it. And this was like a clear indication that it's not just the Murdoch media machine. It's like that more establishment wing of like this, you know, conservative movement. I mean, it's New York Post used to be a blatantly neocon outlet. So it's, it just, to me, it's just the unfortunate part of this is that like vindicates the New York Post, makes them seem like they're going against the establishment. They're sort of renegades. When it's like they fucking had John Podhoritz and like people like that writing for them years ago, like that's how I was introduced to them. And it just and it just overly inflates the story because of the censorship, the blatant censorship, as you mentioned. I mean, it was being censored mm-hmm. in actual DMs, which is just beyond the pale. And so it just it just sensationalizes the story and and overly exaggerates its its importance to me. Of course. I mean, that's what censorship does, especially on a platform mm-hmm. like Twitter that already conservatives have painted the narrative that they are being victimized and, you know, they're the martyrs and they're the, the ones who are the victims of censorship. So, yeah, I mean, it, it completely backfired in every possible way. And then when you add on the absurd allegation of Russian hacking, I mean, it's just like, what the fuck? I mean, and the thing is, like, like then it then the, then the story becomes, oh, well, they tried to help Biden win the election and that this story would have like tanked Biden. And it's just like, no, it wouldn't have. The story really, at the end of the day, everyone knew already that he was making money off Burisma. And, you know, that was pretty much well known. It's like, yeah, we have further proof of like shady, corrupt collusion going on between the Bidens and this Burisma company. But that's pretty much what it, where, what it boils it does. down to. And it boils, and also like we can't forget 
what the conservative like narrative was at the time. It wasn't mostly about the bereavement thing. It was mostly alleging that the Biden administration was going to be like owned by China because of some other business dealings mm -hmm. that uh, Hunter had with China. So that was like also, you know, that sort of took the lead, but like, you're right. It wouldn't have affected the election if the story alone was this Burisma email, you know, thing on the New York Post. It, I think it would have actually, the China thing probably, you know, maybe had some impact, but only probably mostly to conservatives who were already not going to vote for Biden. But I would say that what what would have had impact is if it went full Pizzagate, weaponized, like there's child porn on here and, you know, like weird, all these types. In the same way that Pizzagate linked together all these different disparate, like little areas of the internet saying like, you know, mm -hmm. James Elephantis' Instagram page, the comma pizza, you know, pictures inside the restaurant, the menu, the logo, all that stuff like got linked together into this web of, you know, sort of um, like conspiracies. This, I feel like this did not have the chance to get to that level. It was almost like, uh, you know, because it, the censorship mechanisms kicked in so hard right after this happened, like right after these things started to leak from the laptop, I don't, I feel like I didn't have a chance to get there, but I do think it could, that could have actually caused damage to the election. So in a weird way, it's, I mean, I almost look at this like, Hey guys, like, why didn't you let us do another pizza gate? to like move like basically help trump win <laughs> because that's in a way that's kind of what it seemed like they were trying to do from the very beginning of it i mean the actual meat of any like corrupt business dealings was not what a lot of these more sketchy right-wingers were trying to do with it you know that's what like tucker was trying to do with it on tv but like the people who deployed the laptop i cannot emphasize this enough that they were trying to insinuate that he was raping children and videos on the laptop Rudy Giuliani himself yeah. put out text messages that were something about him doing something sexually inappropriate in front of his niece. There was that could mean that he was just like in his underwear when he answered the door or something one time. It's not clear what that means, but the insinuation they were putting out was like that he molested his niece and that he like had sex with her or something. And that was how well that's how they wanted it to be perceived at the time. So, but again. Yeah, they wanted it be, to be perceived that he was just this crazy degenerate pedophile who was like raping teenage girls and and totally try to go off yeah, on a the, pizza the, gate spiral. The specific thing was the pedophilia. It's like the drug addiction, the prostitution stuff. It looks bad, but like that they really wanted to latch on to the idea that there was some pedophilia going on there. And that's why the Ashley Biden diary you know, finally got inserted into the right-wing media narrative recently about the, that she used to shower with her dad, she says in her diary. And that, and even Tucker Carlson started talking about that and trying to do his own little Pizzagate version. Um, so there's, they've been trying to all these different ways, but I will take this all the way back to Pizzagate in the sense that when I remember right before the 2016 election, when Pizzagate first started, I was like, this is crazy. This is one of the craziest, quickest, fast burning you know wildfires of a like conspiracy i've ever seen being generated online and while i was thinking that i started to see the censorship mechanisms kick in in ways that i had never seen before online reddit basically deleting like every post that mentioned pizzagate um things that were just completely beyond the pale that back then were just unfathomable that 
people who ran these websites would do. And so I remember thinking, okay, this is really bad because it's going to backfire. Like this is just going to fan the flames. Like why would they do, why would they respond to it this way? This is not a, this is not a good way to do it. And look what we've seen, Abby, over the last six years, it has fanned the flames every time. I guess the only instance maybe where it didn't was when they like purged QAnon off the internet. But I think also that just co kind of coincided with the demise, like QAnon winding down in general, like was already winding down. Yeah. But everything else has fanned yeah, the flames and made these things mm -hmm. it just more invigorated in the mind of the right wing. It just had every time. Right. Right. And that's what we predicted right when it happened after the January 6th event we said how horrible of an idea it was to do this kind of mass censorship and removal of QAnon and Pizzagate stuff. I mean, we, well, we've been saying it the whole time, obviously. We've been calling it out because we knew exactly what was going to happen. It would just further legitimize and reinforce the paranoia, the delusional mindset, and reinforce the narrative that, that conservatives are at at the receiving end of censorship. Big tech censorship is a bipartisan thing. We both, I mean, I've, all of my shit got removed from YouTube. We're both shadow banned on Twitter. I mean, this is, it's, it's absurd, yeah. right? Facebook is, is dead. I mean, like we have, I have no social media reach at all anymore, but I'm nobody compared to these huge ass conservative accounts that are com constantly signal boosted. By the biggest, by the biggest um, conservative That's what commentators. Is so ultimately fascinating once again about this, these Twitter files that Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi are putting out is I haven't seen yet, and it's not over yet. They're going to, I guess, continue to put out files. Matt Taibbi, as we record, this is just doing a new thread, um, and he's writing it like in real time right now. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but we know that they're never, I mean, it's very unlikely that Matt Taibbi or Barry Weiss are going to post a file saying here's an example of someone who like never had a chance to get the reach that they wanted because they were censored for political speech like someone who was never signal boosted who was never boosted by like billionaire shadow networks or anything like that but all time and time again abby all we hear about and the examples we're given are these gigantic signal boosted accounts that already are all over the media all the time libs of tiktok charlie kirk accounts that i mean sure if they are being let's say just in theory if they are being like censored or their reach is being limited i mean that's they probably shouldn't be unless they have violated some over rules but it's like that's not those people are already huge why aren't we talking about people like palestinian activists like or any leftists really i mean it just this whole concept of Elon Musk being not far right or far left. It's like he's literally letting Ian Miles Chong and Andy No dictate who he kicks offline. I mean, what? there's no position that any leftist, anybody on the so-called far left holds in a position of power like that on anywhere on social media. That's what's so fascinating. It's like what leftist who is as, who has anywhere near the reach of Ian Miles Chong is, visible on social media to that level nobody it's such a right-wing amplification like echo chamber from all these people that even if i mean i don't doubt that 
that Twitter board said do not amplify, like do not help amplify libs of TikTok because of how incendiary the shit that they're posting is. Like that's not really that scandalous to me. And we're going to get in, get into Barry Weiss's big revelation right now. But um, but the thing is, all these people just signal boost each other all the time. And it's such an insular world of these accounts that already get viral because they all just fucking promote each other. It's like a hive mind. Um, so like, you know, Tim Poole just says some mindless shit and he gets like 10,000 retweets. I mean, Libs of TikTok is already getting like 30K people signal boosting her because of T Tucker Carlson's constant promotion, Glenn Greenwald's constant promotion. It's like, it's like, wow, cry me a goddamn river that Twitter board executives are like, let's not help amplify Libs of TikTok post doxing Boston Children's Hospital like doctors. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, it's just so cartoonish when you look at what Barry Weiss just revealed. First of all, we already knew that Twitter was shadow banning people and um, labeling some accounts as too controversial to amplify. We have websites that tell us that. We've had them for years now. We've both looked at them and verified that we are both part of like an operation um, to, to basically algorithmically censor our stuff right? Or shadow ban our stuff. That is not a conservative talking point. That's just the reality. Um, could be the affiliation with Russia today. Could be just a lot of shit that you've talked to people who are powerful players that just put you on a list. I mean, it's not that hard to do. And I'm sure the list is pretty long at this point. Um, could be the Israel stuff, right? We know that the Israeli government um, explicitly reaches out to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to ask them to censor people. So, you know, it's a bigger story if you become censored, especially if you're someone like Alex Jones, where you're just going to be written up across conservative media ad nauseum and just promoted further from your censorship. But if you're censored as a left winger, there's no one to boost you afterward in corporate media. That doesn't exist. Um, so what Barry Weiss's whole revelation was is that there are secret blacklists that only I mean, she doesn't say this, but that's implied by the thread that only target conservative accounts. The conservative accounts are all artificially signal boosted anyway. In the tens of thousands, everything that they fucking write is just hugely amplified by each other, including Tucker Carlson, including people like Barry Weiss. So um, Dr. Jay Bacharya, right? The COVID lockdown Brown guy. Stone um, I see him yeah, all this the fucking the time. This is what I don't I see understand. All the is fucking like, time in my timeline. Okay, if this is true, if we're if we're supposed to take all this at face value, how is it that people like you and me and like everybody that we know who uses Twitter are just like always complaining about the fact that all they see are like these accounts, like even though they don't follow people like this, like I see all these inflammatory right wing accounts all the time, and it's like it seems like as soon as you reply to someone, it's like they just they want to just like keep outraging, pumping you. I mean, you have to remember that social media companies like make money off of engagement. And one of the ways to get engagement is to get people like angry and, and, and like provoke them. I mean, this is like, there've been studies showing that social media algorithms do this on, on purpose. So it's just weird to me that this is what this is all about. It doesn't match up with the reality that I live in or that you live in. So what, like, that's, what's confusing about it. It does seem like this is the, the these are the accounts that get the most play, to me. So exactly is is Twitter exactly or is the Twitter like censorship 
cabal or whatever, are they like fighting against their own algorithm? That's like, just like, uh, like that's what I'm, I'm almost trying to picture. Like, is this basically what Bi Barry Weiss is alleging? But see, none of Matt Taibbi or Weiss don't say like the algorithm itself, like serves these up to you. Cause it's like, it, you know, they make money off of clicks or whatever. No, that's not what they say. It's just, it, it's very strange. I, I don't even know if I'm making sense, but. Right. No, it's true. It's like the algorithm naturally does um, boost these accounts, just like it yeah. does on YouTube. It's like that's just the way the robotic algorithm just does naturally. And so it, what it seems like is that Twitter's like, let's let's not like put libs of TikTok every fucking day on trend on the ha trending hashtag because they would be because that's how much they're already being boosted by the algorithm. I mean, yeah, I guess you could argue it's a scandal. Right now, Libs of TikTok is fucking trending for me because mm -hmm. of all this new promotion that they're getting. Um, but yeah, I mean, Charlie Kirk, it's like, I see him every day. I don't want to fucking see this doe-faced little baby boy, but I have to because of the algorithm is already yeah, forcing isn't it in Yeah, is Robert Mercer, like, the one who, like, basically, like, propped that guy up, like, with Turning Point USA and stuff? I mean, it's just, it's yeah, just, so, totally it's just so odd to me. It's like, here we are just talking about it basically just all it seems to this is going to do is just empower like these very generic like right-wing establishment forces into being able to weaponize this idea that they are they are the victims of big tech and that the left and the liberals right. are fine in fact they're actually the ones in power i mean that's what they that's all this is going to reinforce but it's like again where there has to be examples of left-wing people being banned on Twitter or even people being like more left than the liberal, you know, ecosystem of employees that like work at Twitter. And we're not seeing anything like that. And I just, at this point, to me, it's like the only thing that either one of the, you know, Barry Weiss has no credibility. There's no way she could gain it back. But if my type wanted to gain a little credibility back in my eyes, he would go in this direction a little bit. Say like, I know I've been focusing on, you know, it would it would be kind of damage control at this point, but if you said like I know most of this focus has been on like censorship of conservatives, but there's also censorship of like people who are like too radical on the left side as well. Here are some examples. It'd be like okay, you know, thank you, like for at least. But instead, it just not it's simply not believable that this is all they're seen and have access to. In fact, let me just read you one really quick because I haven't had a chance to read this whole thread, but as you were. As we were talking, I was trying to scan it to sort of catch up on a little bit. And it's just, again, it's all about how I'm going to read you the exact tweet Matt says. And this is kind of in contradiction to what Taibbi already said that there were requests from like the, the Trump White House for takedowns. Um, what it, whether he meant that he's seen information about specific takedowns or not, that's not clear, but he acted as if that had happened. Um, but here's what's weird. He says that in the Slack channels, so I guess they now have access to like all of the Slack channel internal chats of Twitter, which is, which seems like a pretty big deal. Which is, ter which is also really terrifying, honestly, that Barry Weiss, who mm -hmm. is like a political enemy um, who has talked about me several times and tried to discredit me that she could obtain like personal DMs of mine. Like that, that it's beyond the Slack stuff. They're saying that she has access that like a high level Twitter. Yeah. Like a, like a back end of Twitter. I mean, she's showing screenshots from it, yes. which is weird. Cause she's showing photo, like she's taking pictures of her screen. Like she doesn't know how to screenshot. 
and this is the person that you're giving the response, you know, responsibility to, to leak these. It's, it's quite odd. It's like just on a technical level, that seems like a pretty incompetent journalist right there. Doesn't it? Um, so uh, yeah, he's talking, so Matt type, talking about the Slack chats and saying that they looked in the entire Slack chats to see if there's anything, um, examine, he says, examining the entire election enforcement Slack we didn't see one reference to moderation requests from the Trump campaign, the Trump White House, or Republicans generally. We looked. They may exist. We were told they do. However, they were absent here. So this is the first time he's sort of gone back to that original claim he made. But keep in mind, he's just talking about the lead up to the election and the Slack chats surrounding that. Um, and so how and what is the proportionality? what was the proportionality of like other twit tweets that were asked to be removed from democratic politicians? Well, like what he, is okay, going so on? So he's already here? moved on from the Hunter Biden laptop. Now it's about, yeah. it's I'll just read you what he says at the start of his thread. It's not 20 tweets long. It says thread, the Twitter files, the removal of Donald Trump, part one, October, 2020 to January 6th. So it's all about that time frame. But again, it's just all focusing on how the only takedown requests were of Republicans, including in one case, he says, former Governor Mike Huckabee joked tweets about mailing in ballots for his deceased parents and grandparents. And uh, someone in the Slack Twitter who moderates content says, I agree it's a parody, it's a joke, concedes a Twitter employee, but he's also literally admitting in a tweet a crime. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is funny that like Twitter would be trying to gun for Mike Huckabee for tweeting that. <laughs> that is like that's actually probably the first thing I read in here where I'm like that's that's pretty egregious that, that that's like how hungry they were to like you know shut some people down but again I, I mean the probably the juiciest thing in here is that the they were meeting with the FBI they were getting advice from the FBI of what tweets to take down and moderate um that's probably the juiciest thing in here but I just don't I do not believe it that there's nothing on the slack chats about how you know re, re, like republican group takedown request i just, just simply do not believe it so yeah and it's almost like barry weiss saw the backlash to matt taibbi and so she preempted it by being like we have full access to everything and it's like no that's not true because we were told several things that elon was the one who was handing you what you wanted to see and that also those files were being vetted by lawyers so you obviously don't have a WikiLeaks style dump of all these Twitter files. So why are you claiming that you do? And we know for sure that Twitter has targeted left wing, left wing, not corporate Democrats, left wing anti-war voices, state media affiliated accounts. This is completely unbelievable that this is used solely on conservatives, especially given the whole... Um, the whole categorization of this entire operation, which is like dis fighting disinformation. What does that all come down to? Russian bots, Russian disinformation, boosting Black Lives Matter, Bernie bros, all that stuff. I mean, come on. Release the full blacklist. That would be... Be explicit I about mean, what's going on. apparently did that, release something like that from Google years ago. And what was interesting about what they released, I don't know if it was ever confirmed and how m far it went... But what it did confirm was that some of the more like overtly Trumpian websites and like pretty much all the conspiracy websites and like all the neo-Nazi websites 
were like not blacklisted but like deranked um and i think probably that vindicated or gave a lot of like you know props to project veritas because they were like on that list like among websites like the corbett report and things like that so but other i mean yeah why like why can't we at least just get that like a like a rogue employee from google managed to get that out low-level employee who you know probably doesn't have access the same level of access as elon musk does to twitter so it's like yeah and it's like matt taibbi knows matt taibbi knows better okay matt taibbi um, is plugged into the actual... I mean, he does a show with Katie Helper, for God's sake. He knows who leftists are. He's not the Barry Weisses of the world. I mean... I mean, he's turning into one slowly. But but at the same time, Barry Weiss is the type of person who will conflate the left with liberals and just claim that, you yeah. know, she'll make the same claims that Elon Musk will. Matt Taibbi knows better. He is connected with actual people who are leftists. So it is completely disingenuous for him to not make a caveat here or or explain in some way that this is not just a partisan thing because we know it's not. It's just so obvious that the whole thing is nested in. We're just going to dish out the stuff that's going to enrage the Trump supporters who thought everything was rigged already even more. I mean, it's like just because Matt Taibbi does a podcast with someone like Katie Halper, I mean, I've heard stories, someone was just responding to one of my tweets the other day saying, I ran into Matt Taibbi, or maybe it wasn't a response to my tweet. I just saw this randomly saying that they ran into Matt Taibbi at the airport and um, they were like, hey man, I'm I'm a really big fan of your Wall Street stuff, like huge inspiration. It's a huge inspiration for like the class I now teach at my at my college. Like, you know, I make I make the students like read one of your books. And Matt Taibbi's response wasn't like, oh, that's awesome. Like that's really cool to hear you're like teaching you know, giving my stuff out to like college kids. Like I'd love to, you know, inspire young minds. <laughs> I mean, obviously that's like almost like a absurd, exaggerated way to respond to that. But he, instead his response was, oh geez, like what's it like to be on like a college campus these days? Like the kids are, they're fucking crazy, right? Like they're like, they're like out of control, like social justice warriors. And the guy was like, the guy, I think he described it almost like his heart dropped. He didn't, he didn't realize that Aww. Matt Taibbi was in that sort of reactionary zone at the time. This was like a couple of few years ago, I think. So, I mean, what? I think that oh, wow. it's definitely a, 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 I mean, I think Matt Taibbi is definitely sucked into the, that conservative, you know, landscape now. But at the same time, I do think there's definite disingenuousness happening also. It's like, it's both. I mean, mm-hmm. what does it mean when you, you know, you give a huge puff piece, uh, Substack writing like thing review to Matt Walsh's documentary. Like he didn't have to do that. It was it was weird that he just devoted that much time and energy to lifting up Matt Walsh. What is a woman? I mean, so I, I just do not. And then it's also like absurd to think that Elon Musk was like, let me find a left and a right, you know, reporter to do this. But I have a funny um anecdote right here. I sent it to you on Twitter. <laughs> about how did Barry Weiss become picked, you know? I mean, I'm sure that, that it was helped by her promotion of the intellectual dark web and just her oh, I didn't generic even see this. ass oh, I'm, I'm neoconservatism. But here's, this is a hilarious little excerpt from her Substack about Elon Musk that you know he fucking read and you know that he was so turned on by it. He was like, all right, this is my gal um, because this is all he needs. He just needs his his ego stroked a little bit, especially calling him funny. So here's what she says. She says, when Elon Musk marched into Twitter on Wednesday to claim his new toy, the company, 
which he is officially buying. He entered the building carrying a porcelain sink. Why? To make the joke, let that sink in, a taunt to his detractors. Let it sink in that I own your favorite place. Let it sink in that Donald Trump is coming back. Let it sink in that you're not in charge anymore. Elon may be a madman, and none of us really know what he plans to do with Twitter, but he is definitely the funniest CEO in America, and his billionaire-level trolling is honestly inspirational to low-level trolls like me. Wow, that is amazing. I mean, honestly, that could have been all That is absolutely... (laughs) Wow, that's fascinating, Abby. I know. And and there you have it. I mean, it. well, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that there's something more to her existence and her rise and her defection from the New York Times. But oh, I yeah, know. I mean, that is like the most groveling and disgusting. And actually, the first time I've seen anyone say that he's the he's funny. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. I know. Truly is. I know. Um, I, know. I mean, but we we also have to remember well, that it yeah. is true. Part of what Matt Taibbi said that's a kernel of truth is like, he Elon Musk is basically replacing Trump as the most like hated man by like liberals. And it's not wasn't too long ago when I remember a lot of liberals like literally saying they were crying watching Elon Musk's like first major PR stunt with SpaceX launching the Tesla into the sky and playing Rocket Man with the guy in the car. Like there were fucking liberals like literally saying they were crying on Twitter watching that. There was like a groundbreaking event to have like this now possible and all this shit. And they're just, so like things have really have changed. Like, I mean, you know, how many, I mean, it is kind of true to think of like how many Hollywood liberals like bought Teslas and drive them and are now like mad, you know, mad that they did. There are probably a lot of them. Like they probably... There was probably a time when a lot of those people like really thought Elon Musk was like a brilliant man. And now they, you know, now they kind of see him as the new Trump. So, and I think that Elon Musk kind of wants that. It's like, that's part of somehow he wants that outcome. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know, Abby, do you have any more more thoughts? No, I think that we've, we've done it all. I mean, it's been a wild ride. It's unfolding every day. It's getting weirder every day. And I mean, I want to say I'm here for it when it comes to the Kanye stuff, but I'm not here for it when it comes to the Elon Musk stuff because it's very creepy and increasingly dystopian. And I just can't, I just never would have fathomed that the groveling nature of people who I thought knew better would just come to this level um, and it, and it, Twitter is just becoming increasingly scary. I mean, the fact that Barry Weiss has this new unprecedented power as this access journalist now, um, the fact that Elon Musk is just so politicized and so virulently anti-left, it's just like very crazy to me. I mean, it just, it could take a very, it's taking dark turns, but it could just get even more darker every day. And I am not here for that. I mean, I I don't even know what is going to happen or what we can do about it, but you know, it's the same problem it always has been, but now it's just beyond just the the technocratic liberal elite corporate dems who are just like fighting quote unquote disinfo. Oh, no, now it's just an overt right-wing billionaire who's who's super overt about his political goals um and his biases and it's like I don't know what's, I mean, it, it, it is scarier to me because it's so obvious. And now. one really, I mean, if you want to think of some really dystopian future, I mean, 
I'm not saying that, well, I guess I kind of am. I mean, we think of this whole world and the future of our world in the sense of like these different empires warring with each other, vying for power for the inevitable, you know, main power position. Like we foresee the decline of the American empire, um, like it's on the decline or, or different countries are like becoming more powerful. I mean, ultimately, a lot of these things are going to come to a head. But one interesting possibility to think about that, you know, I've never really thought this through all the way, but I think it's with someone like Elon Musk, it's a very real possibility to create a power block in on the planet that's not just, you know, different financial ties or like a capitalist power block, but something that actually can create like regime change and be completely, let's say, governments all over the world can wash their hands on off, like hands of it, especially the United States. So for example, let's say that this huge sphere of influence that Elon Musk is building, including the one of the biggest social media networks in the world, what if through Starlink, you know, going to Iran in the combination with like some kind of a regime change operation done through Twitter in Iran, like we've seen before, you know, Twitter what has been a vehicle for regime change before. Like, what does that mean for the future that we're living in? If someone like Elon Musk seems like he had now has the power to do that and then to do it like for the United States and the United States could just sort of be like, well, we didn't do it, you know. And while also yes. being seen as this anti-establishment outsider fighting the deep state. And so the, it's just like the Trump. I mean, it really is the theory of just replacing Trump. But this time it's way crazier because of his connections to the deep state. I mean, he he is an operational figure in the deep state in several categories. Starlink is the most crazy aspect of it because it's actually helping mm-hmm. kill people in mass and could take over the entire planet's communication networks, but it's also Twitter. I mean, Twitter is like the digital realm of our communication. So it's it's so multifaceted and that's what's so scary about it. And then when you couple in what the possibilities could be of this new, um, you know, the brain chip and, you know, you're saying that he he's going to be openly like agitating regime change stuff. I mean, he he just tweeted the other day on December 3rd. He said, I've seen a lot of concerning tweets about the recent Brazil election. If the tweets are accurate, it's possible that Twitter gave preference to left-wing candidates. It's like, so is this what you're going to do now? When left-wing candidates win in elections, you're just going to like delegitimize them and pretend that there was some sort of conspiracy. It's like the opposite of Russiagate. You're just going to fucking manifest and make up that Twitter somehow played a role in Lula getting elected? It's... You know, and people are just going to believe him and he's just going to still be revered as this ad- agitator outside it is, the deep it state. Is, it's something that we've never seen before. I mean, Trump couldn't mm-hmm. have done this. Um, it's only someone like he could have done this. And I and I think that we'll just have to see how it plays out. I, I think it's the danger that is presenting itself here with him existing and working with the U.S. empire and countries like Israel in the way that he has combined with this new kind of power he has, I think is extremely dangerous. And it's really shocking how he also has entered our sort of alt media matrix now. Like he, he did that before. I would say like, you know, previous, like if you run back to a year ago, I think most people like in alt media, even like right-wing media didn't really think 
much of him either way. I mean, especially, I don't think the right really had much of an opinion on him. Like, like, like strongly. I mean, maybe some people liked him, but I mean, I think in general, this is like almost like a coup he's done on the alternative media as well to capture this much attention and to be like, we're going to go in the face of like the mainstream establishment. I mean, that's pretty impressive feat in and of itself. And I, that's really worrisome. Anytime somebody tries to do that, I think it's really concerning. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to our double doozy um, part one and two for Media Roots Radio. We've been wanting to talk about this for so long, but it the news kept compounding. It was like things kept piling up um, that we just felt like we had to wait. And now, I mean, I'm sure the Twitter revelations will continue. The Twitter files will continue and will further solidify, you know, the worst predictions that we have. Um, but it's just getting weirder. Robbie, I never could have imagined this is where it would have gone when Elon, you know, bought Twitter over a month ago. And if this is how dramatic everything's ramped up in just this short of a time, it is it is very um, disconcerting, you know, where we're going with all of this and how it could actually impact the U.S. empire, reinforce U.S. hegemony, uh, a lot of things at play with someone this powerful, and that's the system that we live in. I mean, when capitalism allows people like this to become this powerful and this all-controlling, um, that's extremely disturbing. Please let us know what you think. Um, spread the word. Give us some love on the ratings so we don't get shadow banned and algorithmically censored. Uh, and subscribe on Patreon. My brother's doing a lot of solo episodes pretty much like half of the episodes now are behind a, a Patreon wall. So you get a lot of exclusive content from my brother, a lot of deep dives. Um, and we'll be continuing to give those to you as this saga unfolds. And yeah, thanks so much for staying with us, you guys. We will catch you on the flip Take side. Take care, everybody. Elon Musk, being the clever genius that he is, released a rap song on April 1st. A rap song where he allegedly did the vocals himself, imitating the voice of a black man. This song is, of course, based on a popular meme about the gorilla harumba, because as we all know, that is on Musk's unique creative style. Take a listen to Musk's song. Thinking about you, we back at the zoo, man. Thinking about you, man. Where my girl is at? We miss you. We really.